0: Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the moment that we have all been waiting for. Impacting Life 24-7 with your host, C.L. King, and my man, Mike Black, down there in the lower left thirds. Coming to you tonight with a very important topic, a topic that we have been promoting for 30 straight days. This discussion is something that's so pivotal, so vital, so important that I don't know if maybe this is what's caused all my nauseousness today, but when you talk about keeping our kids safe in supposedly, which is known to be the greatest country in the world, if we have to have this type of conversation, then that obviously lets us know that there's some work that we need to do. 30 days ago, when those those students were getting ready to close out their school year, two days away from closing out their school year in Uvalde, Texas, a crazed madman came into that school and began to shoot and take those innocent lives away without provocation. And that touched the core of, of my very existence. It shook me. On Impacting Life 24-7, ladies and gentlemen, we have opportunities to avoid conversations. We have opportunities to uh, put dip our toe in conversations. But I told Greg and I told Mike, I said, man, we've got to put voice to this. So we we gathered people from all regions of the country, and they're not elected They're not for hire. We're not paying them. But they are people who have a concern, equal concern, about what we all witnessed on that tragic day. And so what I said was I wanted to bring ordinary Americans. I know everybody thinks I'm a celebrity, but I'm just an ordinary cat, too, (laughs) y'all. We wanted to bring ordinary people who are embedded in their communities and have a discussion. About how can we keep our kids safe? We're going to take all this that we discussed tonight. We're going to bottle it up and we're going to send it to those people that we elect to do something. Now, I know they got stuff going on in the House and Senate, etc. But there's no there's no limitations to amount to the amount of ideas that people can bring and people can provoke their own change within their own communities Moms and dads, I want you to sit down and listen very closely tonight. We have some amazing, amazing panelists, people that are experts in their field, people who have committed 30, 40 years to uh, their particular craft, but they're also concerned, just like I am, just like you are, about what are we going to do? What are we going to do to keep our kids safe? Is it legislative alone? Is it punitive alone? Is it a combination of all of those? Let's hear the ideas. And listen, moms, dads, teachers, educators, if you guys want to put your ideas on and have them heard on our international podcast, just go to the page that you're looking at, scroll down and type in the chat box, and we will put your ideas live on air with us. I am blessed to have an amazing panel with me tonight, and we are going to discuss... Without equivocation, there's no time ending on this. There's no time limit. We're going to discuss how to keep our kids safe. So thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for joining with me and Mike Black on Impact Life 24-7. And what we're going to do is we're going to get right to it. Okay, so I know that I know that oftentimes on my show, we got a whole bunch of fluff. There's no commercials. There's no nothing. We're getting right to it tonight. And uh, we're going to do a round robin style where each one of our panelists will pour their heart out and give us ideas. It's all being recorded. It's all being captured. And so each one of them have a different background. Uh, and and I can't wait to hear what they have to bring to the table. We've already laid the ground rules out backstage when we was putting on our makeup. And Danny, your makeup looks kind of good, brother. We, when, we were, <laughs> when we were putting on our makeup, we all laid the ground rules out for what we were going to do and what we were not going to do. And so with that, I bring to the stage, miss Celia Kibler. And so I don't miss anything. I'm going to allow Celia to give us an introduction about herself. Tell us a little about what a little bit about what she does and how she is making an impact in the world. And then go ahead, Celia and dive into your, your thoughts on keeping our kids safe. Celia Kibler.
1: Hey everyone, and CL, so grateful that you brought all of us together. Thank you for doing this. It's, it's a really important conversation for parents, for citizens, for politicians, for children to hear. So I'm grateful that you brought all of this together, um, all of us together. So I'm Celia Kibler, nice to meet all of you. And I am a mom, first of five kids, two I, uh, two I birthed, and three I gained through marriage, and a grandma to nine kids. And I am the founder of FunFit Family Fitness that I founded back with my sister in 1987. I'm the founder of Pumped Up Parenting, and I'm the founder of the International Day of Calm, celebrated every year on April 5th. I am on a mission to stop a million parents from yelling at their kids. And my job is to really work with parents through various ways to help them end the generational cycles of dysfunction and abuse and start creating childhoods that everyone can blossom from. Can you imagine a generation of people that don't have to recover from their childhood? Because you know what guys, we're here raising adults, not children. And uh, that, That's what I do. And that's who I am. And I've spent over 40 years helping the helping children with health, wellness, and then of course, helping their parents as well. So now you want me to give my input. Is that right?
0: Yes, ma'am. You can, you can take as long as you want. Go ahead.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of what is going on, of course, is horrific. And, um, the sad truth is that gun violence has surpassed car accidents in the leading cause of death for children from 2019 to 2020. And uh, that's a horrible statistic. Um, I think what has to be seriously considered in all of this And so many people talk about the guns and what the guns do, but guns don't shoot themselves. And I think what is lacking in conversation is the intent. Because intent is what separates me, who grew up with lots of guns in my family and never shot anyone, to someone who has a gun and decides to put someone's life to the end, to end and to end someone's life. However, I'm supposed to Recording say that. Recording
0: stopped. Keep going, Keilia. You good?
1: Okay. And so that is the big thing I believe that we need to really focus on is intent is what is going on Recording with in our progress. world today. What is going on with young people? And as someone who comes from a parenting uh parenting angle on raising our future generations is we also have to truly examine what is going on with parents and what their activities, their behaviors, the way they speak and communicate to their children, what they're doing with their kids, how that is affecting our future generations and how these people that are doing these horrors, what happened to their moms, where are their dads? And how were they raised into the world? Were they raised with intention or were they raised by someone who really flew by the seat of their pants? And that's my angle.
0: So what's the solution?
1: The solution is to start working with parents, start examining our mental health system, to also... Put some control over guns so they're not as easy to get and there are waiting periods and there are stricter guidelines but i think the key in my eyes is parenting in a calmer cooperative way removing all the violence from parenting because everything we do as parents we give our children permission to do if we hit our child we give them permission to hit. If we scream and yell, we give them permission to scream and yell. And all of this really aggressive parenting creates very angry children with low self-esteem and low confidence and low self-worth. And what does that bring to, to you as an adult, as an adult that is out of control, does not know how to handle or regulate their emotions and does not know what to do with their own misery.
0: Well, that's Celia Kibler, ladies and gentlemen. You're turning into our special forum on keeping our kids safe in school and schools. And she is the founder and creator of Pumped Up Parenting. She has a mission of helping one million students stop yelling at their kids. So let's do a quick round robin and go around. I'm going to go around the room. I'm going to start from the bottom. Charles do you feel based off of what uh, Celia said that it starts at the home for us? Now you don't have to give away your thoughts on what your presentation is going to be, but do, do you, do you see some pluses or, or deltas relative to Celia's input on it starting at the home for us to do better with, with uh, preventing this violence in schools?
2: I, I, I agree with, with much of what you said, almost, you know, a hundred percent. Um, the basic, the basic, for me, in my life, the basic foundation was set by my parents and the set of morals they had um, they set me down with. And, and see, you said, you don't want to, you know, what me and my wife try to bring our kids is we don't want to foster a nature of where they're feeling that everything they've done is insufficient or they're being yelled at or they're being... You know always criticized for doing something that's not right we try to do positive enforcement so with that being said when you have that offspring nature you don't have kids that go out into the world angry you know yeah. they feel like they're not good enough and they have to try to prove something different uh when i you know uh in on what she said is if we can break these uh feelings of dysfunction that have come to normal, you know, uh, sometimes to be able to deal with dysfunctionality, you have to make it the norm. you know, I, this is what everybody else does, right? So it's not dysfunctional. But we have to educate our kids and know there's other things. And you I think the only feel only you can do that is through programs, you have to have to be advocates of getting funding for some of these programs to show kids that there's alter, alternative things to do in their life, they don't have to be uh, just a victim of their society and their circumstances and where they live. Right. But, you know, there's things that you can go out and do positive. You can take them on trips. You can show them, uh, I don't know, all that the these United States of America have to offer. There's a lot out here for our kids, but a lot of them don't – we're not exposing them to that. And that's the drawback. I, I feel that's the drawback of us not taking the time to invest in our future generations.
0: That's a, that's a good point. Charles Bigelow uh, from uh, down there in Georgia. Uh, Mike, what do you, what do you think in terms of, uh, you you know, Celia talking about it starts at the home and how we are raising our children. Uh, Do you see that as, as, as something that could bleed over into reducing these, these violent occurrences in schools? You're back on mute. Push your mute.
3: Hey, Miss Celia. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Uh, Thank you for all you do. You know, I always enjoy watching your program. Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. But I I agree as well. I think if you look at fatherlessness in the homes, the absence of the father is a big thing. And there's moms out there that are doing their best. And, um, you know, things can get missed. So I do think it starts at home. And there is a lot of dysfunction in homes. and, And it is generational. You said that in the beginning. It is very generational, and it's not to point fingers at anybody, but we got to start to break that cycle, and, and it's got to start. I mean, it can't just talk about it. It really has to start. So um, I definitely agree with that, that it does start at the home. And th- those are my you know, general thoughts on that as well. So thank you.
0: All right. Uh, let me get his name right. I was about to say your screen name. I was about to mess up, bro. <laughs> Don Roberts, uh, retired Marine And uh, we'll get more information about you. Of course, to everyone that I call on that will make their presentation, they'll give their bio and intro, but Don in in response to kind of like our responses to Celia, she talked about it uh, being starting at the home and how we raise our kids and, and et cetera. What are your thoughts, Don?
4: Well, I think she said uh, a key word there is intent. And uh, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Now I was raised, uh, uh, single parent uh, with four brothers and a lot of guns around but uh you know i never uh use guns in the way they're used today so there's a there's some something that's different from when i was a kid into where kids are now mm-hmm. and I, I know we're not gonna make this uh, political or governmental but uh have you guys ever seen some of these video games that are out there at these are some serious serious video games that these 10 year olds 12 year olds right and not only that uh, the, the motion picture of movie association you know i mean i think their standards has come way down to let some of these young kids watch some of these uh, movies that are on tv uh violent very violent movies uh, so intent where are these kids getting these intent from and and Hey, maybe maybe uh, we can lean some of the, some of this stuff we're feeding our kids in, in video games and in the movies and, and you know kids talk to kids so right. uh, you know desensitization of uh, all this stuff is uh, I think I think uh, lays some some blame on the government here for for allowing this to happen. All
0: right, thank you, uh, Don, and we'll be back to you in a little bit. Um, let me see here. I got Charles. I got everybody. Let me. I, Shelby, I'll get to you after Danny. Uh, Celia had commented that, you know, in terms of a solution, it she feels like it starts fr- from the home, Danny. And uh, I know that you have a very unique, uh, you, we're so close, and we talk all the time, you know, in terms of upbringing. What are your thoughts on how the home can be tethered to what we're seeing in the school violence occurrences, do you think they're related and do do you agree with Celia or do you see that there might be, there might be some other Deltas associated?
5: Well, I, I do think that there's definitely a nexus between, you know, things happening at home and, and, and those things carrying over into the school system. So, I'm not going to pretend to know the answers to it all because I think that it causes a multivariate I think there's just an intersection of different things that happen but from my perspective one of the things that that I'm concerned about and I think that that drives some kids to make decisions that aren't uh, you know that are very dangerous is that one it's the mental health of, of, of kids at home. I mean, one thing that I'm always conscious of is the mental state of my children. You know, I have one child who's still at home. I have one who's not there. And, and I've always paid attention to how they were feeling about themselves. Because in many cases, when a child is feeling, you know, ne- having, having negative emotions about themselves, it's very easy for them to project it onto other kids, and and if it gets to the point that it becomes very, you know, nihilistic and hopeless,
3: mm-hmm.
5: you know, not being able to sense that and not keeping your finger on the pulse and not interacting with your children is risky. Yeah. Not knowing their state and asking them the right questions when you start to see certain behaviors is risky. So I do agree that home home life and your interactions at home is definitely a proponent of it among other things right but since we're keeping it narrow i will definitely agree with
4: that
0: yeah and you know of course danny will be up next to tell us his input and background as well as his ideas for uh keeping our kids safe in school but danny you're 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 right um Mm -hmm. what i've seen over the years and uh Don Roberts alluded to this is that Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're giving our children more over to this artificial babysitter of the phone, the games, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and, and but we do feel like we, we doing something. We put a badge on our chest about taking them to soccer and, and, and baseball, et cetera. Right. So it's like, we're doing, we're, we're carting them all over town, but are we truly, like you say, are we truly embedded in their lives? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I agree with you there, Danny. Okay. Um, okay. Shelby uh, okay. is also on. Hey, Shelby. Hey, how's
6: it going?
0: Good. We caught you in late. I'm so glad we yeah. got you. And, um, uh, <laughs> You missed all the ground rules. So if you break any rules, we'll just blame it on Greg, okay? <laughs> so you, we're going to, we do a round robin. Everybody's going to go around the room. And uh, when, when we get to you, you'll be able to tell your your ideas and solutions. But I like to get like rebuttals or follow ups to our, each one of our presenters, each one of our panelists. So what are your thoughts on Celia Kibler's? Uh, she's the founder of Pumped Up Parenting. What is your thoughts on her saying that it does start at the home? It does start with us, us being more engaged as parents. And that's that's where she feels like that's where we need to start making some progress. What are your thoughts?
6: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, honestly. I believe that the first connections we form in our life are typically the connections we form with our parents. And those, those bonds we form uh, establish patterns for the rest of our relationships in our life. And so I think ultimately kids are seeking that connection, um, and it does start at the home.
0: Yeah, that 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 I, I agree. I think home is where the where the heart is. We're gonna also close close this out with our online audience. Dustin Gibson says, "Hey brother, I actually wrote a thesis on this subject. It has been scientifically proven that video games actually change the brain in adolescence, desensitizing them to violence." And uh, Will Augenbright is gonna have some comments. Uh, he said he wanted to know when he could chime in. You guys can always chime in, and we will read your comments during the round robin kind of responses okay so next up tonight that we have is a man who i esteem very highly he's a great friend he's a part of our impacting life 24 7 cadre of people trying to make an impact me and him don't agree hardly on anything but we talk about everything and i'll be honest with you i've learned so much from this guy i'm gonna let you let him tell you what he does and how great he is but I've learned so much from someone who is a thinker, someone who is a, a provoker of thought. Even if I don't agree with the thought, it makes me think. And, and one thing that I can tell you is, is that you can't approach Danny Brunson with, uh, with a half-hearted thought. If you haven't thought it through, don't bring your conversation to him because he's going to make you think. So without further ado, my friend and yours, Danny Brunson.
5: Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah. Well, my name is Danny Bronson and <clears throat> I'm currently I'm employed with the state of North Carolina. I'm working in the government and I work in IT. So that's 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 where my actual specialty is in, in IT. But I, I like to think about a lot of things. But uh, relative to this conversation tonight, um, as I said before, I do think that the problem has multiple causes, multiple factors that affect affected uh, one of those factors being uh, attention to mental health. But one of the, one of the things that I hope it's not off topic. No, go ahead, Danny. Go ahead. It, because it, it updates my thinking, you know, when I make decisions regarding my child and her education is that whether we like it or not, you know, we are evolving or emerging as a gun culture. Uh, I'm not saying that as a, uh, you know, pejorative. I'm not. I'm not being judgmental about it. I'm just stating the facts. Is that we in America have uh, an affinity for weapons, for guns? Why that happens, I don't know. I think it. I think it has something to do with the acquisition of power. I think it has a fear element involved. Whatever the cause, it's affecting us and it's affecting all of our institutions. It's affecting the schools, it affects, you know, businesses, it affects your churches because, you know, there's always this overriding fear of someone having a bad day or having a mental break and deciding to take your life along with theirs. So, uh, I think that what has to occur is that we have to think about how we're going to exist in the future in a, in a gun culture, because I don't see any signs of it letting up, even, if, even even if we write legislation to curtail it or to control it or to increase the governance that still doesn't affect the heart and in our hearts, we like weapons. We like guns. We may. So, so I have no idea what that's going to look like in the future for us for a school. I have no idea what it's going to look like in the future for a business, but I do know that we have to start Thinking about existing in a culture where there's this proliferation of weapons, and and along with that, increased risk of being, uh, you know, encountering someone who's having a bad day. That that's that that drives my thinking, and that drives the decisions that I make. You know, regarding school safety regarding safety in general, because I think they're all connected. And the things that are happening in schools are just uh, extensions of or reflections of our our community and our society as a whole. And 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 we know in America, because we've lived here, we know our history, we've always had an affinity for violence because for some reason, we chose that a lot to get things done. And we have short term memories, we have short memories. So because we never engage it, because we never deal with it, it repeats itself. And it happens over and over. So I think that at some point, the institutions that care, are gonna to have to get together devise a common ethic, create a common strategy to deal with these things. And if we can't do that then i think we've already lost lost the battle mm. because you know without that structure it's it's inevitable that chaos is going to creep in because that's what chaos does it just creeps in and destroys things so that's
0: then, no that's powerful danny and uh that was very well stated by the way uh I'm trying to turn Danny into an mo- impact motivator, a motivational speaker. <laughs> I'm trying to bring him on the circuit with me. Let me let me just let me just at, pluck a little more. Okay? okay. So when you when you talk about the gun culture and an yeah. increase in guns and an increase in violence, what yeah. is our what Okay, let's say whatever you said tonight could okay. be enacted to yeah. to curtail yeah gun violence in school what what are your thoughts on one two three things that we could do to one two three things yeah well, I mean, it one it don't matter i mean whatever what's your okay. idea and it don't okay. have to be my idea danny but whatever okay. your idea is to keep these babies safe
5: okay no i, I agree with that so i mean I, I understand and i think i think the the structures are in place to do it we just we just need to be uh, able to do it. You know, back when I did teach school back in the 90s, mm-hmm. there was this triad that everyone talked about. There was a triad, which was this communication, this connection, this communication that occurred between students, the school, and the parents. And there, there were studies out there that said, hey, when that connection is strong, then the outcomes are better When the connections are weak You saw Worse outcomes Outcomes that just weren't positive Or they trended towards the negative You know mm-hmm. So I think that right now The structures are in place We just need the institutional back, Backbone You know we need that That synergy Yeah. You know not, not, but not just with the – I think there are opportunities for big business to be in there because, believe it or not, big business profits from the sale of guns, okay? All right. I think there should be, I think there should be some accountability. I mean, you know, it's it, – there has to be some accountability. Someone has to care. It can't just be about the bottom line in society. You know, that's the thing that – I know this is one of the places I think we disagree <laughs> is that I think that's one of the outcomes of this of this rugged individualism that was made so, you know, you know, strong is that one of the outcomes is we think about ourselves more than others. Okay. And I, I think that that's a pathology that's taking us down the wrong path in America.
0: So the the triad was the home, the school, and what else? The student, the student. Okay.
5: Yeah. Like the parent is the home.
0: Right. Got it. I got
5: it. That triad. You know, like when I was teaching, you know, it was, I probably got about 20% of the parents who came out to find out what was going on in that kid's life. And you're spending technically 80% of your waking hours with someone else. When you come home, you do your homework and go to bed. And so you can see where that, that break is occurring. Yeah. You know? Okay. That there needs to be, you know, I mean, the parent, we parents are there for you know, keeping our kids straight, feeding their kids. But that quality interaction occurs with someone else. So there's no wonder that that influence is stronger from other people. Mm. Because you have someone else teaching your child and they have their own influences little educating them. When I say educating, I mean their friends will are educating them about things in life. If my interaction is less or less valuable then, of course, they're going to be moving away from me and more towards those external forces, you know?
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, that, that's this is why I said he's one he of the smartest persons on the planet. And and here's the deal. I'm going to go around the room and start with you, Charles. Danny talked about the emerging gold gun culture. He talked about... Um, you know, the increased culture of guns, the rugged individual, you know, the ideologies that we got to be tough. We're a more violent uh, uh, species now. He talked about the breakdown in the triad of the, the home, the school and the student. So he's saying that these things, you know, a lot of people want, like they wanted to be able to put their finger right on it. But he's saying that these things, which have, which have emerged over, the evol- you know the evolution of our species is why we're seeing this. What are your thoughts,
5: Charles?
2: I mute myself. Uh I-, I thank Danny for all he he brought in. He brought in some very cognitive points. I mean spot on to me spot on. Um uh, our country was founded on the right to bear on Second Amendment. We all know that. Uh I think it's been that's been kind of over, um, kind of been used as a as a I don't know a standard or a shield to go through and say everybody has a right to bear any kind of arm they want to, and there's a certain level of responsibility. Is is uh, I can't remember what, what slomo said. <laughs> I'm going about your screen name? Um, but he was told responsible gun ownership. Right. Uh, you know there there is. I had a guy that I worked with, uh, uh, another uh, maintenance professional, and he said, I never bought my kids a pellet gun or a BB gun because I want them to know that all guns have to be respected. You have to respect them all. He said he he trained his kids, respectable gun ownership at a a very young age. And to me, that was responsibility. You know, they they knew that everything that sends a projectile out has the potential to take a life. Right. If it's placed at the right, you know, You know, if if you know what you're doing, so that part of it I see, and the only way you can um, to, I guess, keep keep order, you know, set a well around the militia. That's part of what the Second Amendment says, and that's why gun ownership is a part of that. However, as he also said, we have become desensitized to the value of human life. You know, our video games, and you know the things you see, even just regular TV shows right now, it's just like, okay, if you shoot somebody, it's all good. You know, it's, it's no big thing, it's no big deal. We've not, uh, we've not placed the value on human life, I think, where it needs to be. But also what Danny said about the schools and, you know, in uh, the triad, if you don't fill that mind up with something positive, anything negative can go in there. You know, yeah. whether it's your friend, your peer group, uh, what you see on social media, What you read, uh, you know, we have a responsibility as adults to make sure that everything we point to our children, because I have two small children. Right. And uh, they're sponges. They're they're willing to absorb everything they can get, as much as they can get. And wherever they can get it from, if you leave that void there, guess what? That's what's going to be filled up with. So, like I said, everything Danny on is an educator, he knows, he understands. Right. Uh, but he knows also the responsibility of our parents because it's easy just to let social media or TV, anything else, raise our kids because we have responsibilities we see as parents. You know, we got to provide income and a home and right. a roof over your head and clothes on your back. So I'm doing my part on that. And, they, you know, sometimes we get caught up in that. That's enough. But that's not enough. We have to listen to what our kids are going through. It, what he also said is the mental state. I know I was an awkward. High schooler, you know, I was in between the cool kids and <laughs> you know the smart kids. Right. So that's an awkward place to be. Yeah. And and so it, it's, it's a lot of uncertainty, and you know, a lot of uh, <laughs> I, I would say uh, you just don't know where you fit in at, and sometimes you can be picked on because of that, and bully, bullying is always a big factor. Right. And and if you don't have if you don't have the proper avenue to address how you feel you know, what you're going through, uh, somebody that will listen to you and not be judgmental. Oh man, suck it up. Yeah, come on now. You know, yeah. Keep moving. Uh that's that's a big issue. So I would like to see some uh as Danny said, you know, we, we have to uh approach our legislature and our congresspeople and you know our community leaders and we gotta get these programs out here for these kids. To give them something positive to do, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that are are willing to do this. Yours being one of them, (laughs) but uh, uh, shameless plug. That's right. uh, (laughs) To give them the hope that there's, you know, I don't have to be just caught in my own desperation.
0: You're talking right, Charles. Let me read from Gunny Augenbright. He says, "I believe that the intent does start in the home." But we've overlooked a major aspect in that discussion. In our current society, we've been fought, we've had fatherless homes, but that's always been. Why is it different now? Uh, we've seen violent movies, video games for a long time. Uh, when has that changed? Uh, we've had single parent homes without with the violence we see today. Why are things becoming different now? I believe there are a few connections we need to look at. First, the increased expense of living has created parentless environments where both or uh, an individual parent must spend almost all of their waking moments earning money to provide for their family this leaves children to essentially raise themselves this would include the uh, inundation of these video games and movies, etc. Second, we have lost the sense of community in our society lately due to social media. The feeling of seclusion and anger are amplified by the way we have boxed ourselves in through social media. Solution: Drive living income back to allow the possibility, uh, to allow the possibility of single-income households. So, in, this, in other words, can we survive with one income in the house and somebody actually being there all the rest of the time. Uh, And he he also says, uh, break the cycle of social media being our primary source of communication. That is no easy task, but I think we as a society uh, try to pick the easiest target, which is blaming guns. So that's from one of our audience members. And then we'll keep going around the room. Mike, you got a quick rebuttal to what Danny said, your thoughts on, his rel- his ideas about mental health and emerging gun culture. He says we're, gun guns are going to be here, but it's a culture. And how do we how do we make those both coexist? What are your thoughts, quick, Mike?
3: Um, yeah, I actually agree with uh, Danny in this point that the gun culture is very strong. I think that uh, the last thing I read or heard was that forty two states have strong um, concealed carry permits going on, and so not to be too political, but just to give you like. But to that, to say that it's not going to slow down, but we have to find a way it's going to coexist. But I do think, just to double back, Danny, when you said 20%, that really touched me. That as a as a teacher, you know, 20%. I know that you care. You're a caring person. Like, well, what is the other 80%? And I bet you dollars to donuts that there was some students that were troubled kids that were part of that 80% of the parents that didn't show up. So you know, you're not a miracle worker. You did the best you could, but there's a gap. And so that gap, to me, that correlates with those children are at risk. That could be doing video games, like everybody said, you know, it ties in. You know, video games, that could be not have someone to hang out with, be in the wrong crowd, then you're making a bad decisions, then you get a gun in your hand, and then, bam, you have a tragedy. So, you know, you can connect all those dots, but I think that would um, be my response to what you said, Danny, so thank you.
0: Way to go, Mike. Don Roberts, w- w- your thoughts, Don?
4: yeah um agree i agree with danny uh on most everything he said uh you know when greg asked me to do this i I had to go out and do a little bit of homework you know that uh just just being the marine. that's right separate five baby and and i came across this article i read a couple days ago in the bbc article and and, um, uh it's really relevant to what we're talking about mental health wise today and and i'm not gonna you said don't put any politician's name out there so so I won't, but uh, you know, where this last shooting happened in Texas, this article stated that uh this state of Texas had all this money to go to mental health. And most all of it didn't go to mental health. And this is the state we're talking about where the shooting occurred. It went to border security. And uh man, that just wow, you know, so so all this earmarked money that was supposed to go to mental health now gets shifted border security so transparency in government man i i know i didn't read anything about that in the states i didn't read i read this in the bbc and i didn't bet this article from the bbc i don't know way to but it really really touched uh, touched home so so see how stuff bleeds into other topics i mean mental health bleeds now into border security probably bleeds into fentanyl coming across the border there's just so much that this 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 expands into in, in, into all these kids' lives, you know, how many kids are we losing the fentanyl, you know, uh, not just mental health, just, but the mental health, yeah, Danny, I agree a hundred percent, which, uh, yeah, 20%, I bet you it's even lower than that, uh, these days. Cause I, I do, you know, I'm on a campus every night doing, doing high school sports. And that's the way I, I give back to youth now is, uh, I'm a sports official in four different high school sports. And, and, uh, you know, I, it's the way I stay close to the kids now that I'm uh, double retired. So uh, yeah, that's my two cents, but I I did read that article. That article was valid. Couldn't vet it. But uh, if that was in fact true, where's the transparency that money's supposed to go to mental health and it doesn't,
0: man, you're talking my language right there, Danny and Mike, if you guys remember, we did a, what was it? A three night series on foster kids. Y'all remember that? And we did a three-night series, and we discovered that even within our own state, that funding was supposed to be going to help bolster foster foster parents and helping kids get pl- placements in foster parent foster homes, etc. And that money was diverted. And they did a whole USA Today article on it, uh, Brother Roberts, and found out that until the covers were pulled back. Foster kids were being placed in mental health institutions, insane asylums, because they had no place. They had no foster homes or group homes to put them in. Why? Because the money was diverted to other things. So you're right. You're right. Transparency. And I know, I know Will Augenbright will appreciate that word. Transparency in government is important. It's essential. And you're, right in my own home state we're living that right in your home state too don and uh uh my friend jane jocelyn said (laughs) oh lord between child and parent teacher and student police and neighborhood etc name calling blaming others uh has become commonplace there is no respect between people so she's she's kind of piggybacking off of what you said danny that we have become a more aggressive uh and uh, we, we just soon be more aggressive than not. Uh, Celia, what are your thoughts on th- the points that Danny, Danny had? You know, he talked about the, the break in the triad, how we need to shore that up. He talked about mental health. He talked about us being a gun culture and uh, being a more aggressive and violent people. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I couldn't agree more, Danny. And the, and the fact that there are so many factors that are at play here, You know, it's not just one thing. It's not, it's certainly not just guns. And, you know, it, it has a lot to do with the love for violence this society has too. Like you said, you know, there was a study done and I cannot tell you exactly when it was done, but in the United States, parents would pick a violent movie for their young children to watch over a movie that included lovemaking. And and that says something right there that violence is okay, that all of this horrible shooting and everything is okay. Wow. Same with video games. And I and my son works for a big video game company. He's always been a video gamer. And but there are parents that will buy video games without even checking, you know, the the rating on them and the things. And every box, every video game tells you exactly what is involved in this game, the sex, the violence, the drugs, whatever it is. And yet parents will just buy, well, they want this one. So we're getting that regardless of their ages. Right. And it's just so many things. I think Danny, I guess it was Danny, mentioned social platforms. I mean, you know, violence has become social stardom. It's the reason we have such a problem with suicide and suicides become... An option when I was growing up, you never, if you heard, if someone committed suicide, no one ever heard about it. Now it's public, it's out there, you know. So it now, for a depressed child, it's now an option that no one ever thought of before it became, you know, that's true, cool to do. And I hate to even say that, but a lot of it is this social platform for all of these things for violence and school shootings and you know, all of this really aggressive behavior bullying all of that. Well, you know and I think I, I there think are many aspects that have to change.
0: I agree with you, Celia and Danny, what is it? World Star? Is that is that what I'm thinking of? Where you can just go see pretty much whatever you wanna see? Is it World Star? Yeah. Well that's and, it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. Whatever. And and you know yeah. <laughs> instead of instead of the old heads coming off the porch and breaking up the violence, we see people out there putting it on world right, right, Charles. We see them putting it putting a fight on okay. World Star. Yeah. If it's two girls, ooh, that's more that's more you know, tantalizing. If it's two guys, ooh, let's see which dude gonna get knocked out. And there's a whole entire website designed exclusively for for that. So your 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 discussion about being a, a more violent society is not unfounded, Danny. Um Shelby, d- do you have any thoughts um do you not agree you you don't everybody we don't all have to agree. We can disagree. I disagree with Danny all the time. So all, you, time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it is vice versa. So that's why we get along so well. Um what what are, what are your thoughts on what Danny said? relative to mental health and emerging gun culture that we have to find a way to, it's not going anywhere. We've become more violent and the breakdown in the triad relative to school home and, and, um, the student, what are your thoughts?
6: Yeah, I agree with you on mental health and the crucialness of providing mental health services to, our school aged children, um, especially those who have breakdown in the home, they a lot of times don't have resources to go anywhere else um, to find those connections they're seeking. Uh, I don't necessarily agree that we are becoming a more violent culture. I think humanity has been violent since the dawn of time. Um, if you didn't like your neighbor, you dropped a rock on his head. Um, you know, so I think the difference is the access right we live in a culture in which we have access to everything at the tips of our fingers um and i think that's maybe the distinguishing factor rather than us getting more violent as a culture yeah.
0: Rebuttal to that danny cuz i mean that is a good point
6: no if i if i if i if i in
5: implied that i thought the culture was coming more violent I didn't mean that to come across that way okay. because I don't believe that. I know that the 19th century was much more violent than the 20th and the 21st. Okay. So I do know that violence on a whole is trending downward. But I do also understand that if you're exposed to violence, even if you're a nonviolent person, then violence becomes an option in your brain because your brain doesn't know the difference between something that's happening virtually and something that's happening real. And we've seen the outcomes of that because why we see kids who go out in the street because they're status searching for status and one of the ways to get that is to have things like body counts or things of that nature. Yeah. And so everyone's not affected by the violence, but the most vulnerable and the most um, you know the, the 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 minds that haven't matured enough can't make a distinction between Right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable, and unacceptable in many cases. Not every case, but in many cases, and we see that happening.
0: So, so then, right? So, so then, so then that 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 kind of that kind of uh, transcends the entire conversation. That okay? So maybe we're not. Maybe I'm not going to punch my neighbor five times out of ten. Yeah. Right, but what she said and what you're saying is the access to it or, or, or the, or, you know, like i I think I've mentioned to you a couple times, Danny, I don't know if it's helpful for us to without, without fail 24 hour news cycle, every tragedy that happens, Yeah. you know, because it just, it just, it, it eats up your soul, man. It just like, it it, and then for that person who is on the fence about potentially doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just gives them, Hey, this is going to be my, 10 seconds they're, of fame. Yeah,
5: they're more incentivized to do it if they have a weapon on their side. Yeah. In many cases, they'll see, they would see a person and say, you know what, I'm not going to engage this person here or on the street or in the car. But if I have a weapon in my car, there's a higher probability that I'm going to say, you know what, I'm not afraid of this person. Why? Because I have the power of life and death right here on my hip. Yeah. So it becomes an option. And I think that many times when people would normally walk away, like you like a say a martial artist would do because they're properly trained they're right. saying the best fight is not to fight i don't see that occurring with people who carry weapons i mean no i'm sorry let me rephrase that okay. that's not true okay. <laughs> a lot of people are trained properly right but the ones who aren't trained properly are many times able to get those weapons and make bad decisions. And it's usually those people with the, without the training that have that higher probability of making a bad decision because they weren't trained.
0: You're good, Danny. And, and, uh, will Augenbright says to that point, we missed the part about being well-regulated, meaning well-trained. And so you're, yeah. you're, you're right. And uh, I got an idea relative to training. Mike black is a friend of mine for the past 20 years. He's a co-host of impacting life 24 seven. He's also, uh, one third majority owner of Impacting Life Twenty Four Seven LLC, so he got some skin in this game, and and one thing about Mike is that um, I, I surround myself with people that provoke me to thought, and so not every time Mike gives me a thought do I agree with it, but it provokes me to think maybe maybe it's not Mike, maybe it's me, and so Mike has uh, Mike has a position uh, in many areas relative to the community and he serves his community well. So I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about himself and then give us his solutions for keeping our kids safe. Mike Black.
3: Hey, thanks CL. Uh, Appreciate you so much. And uh, glad to be here with you guys tonight. I'm really enjoying everybody's dialogue here. Um, Just a little bit about myself. You know, I'm a working professional. Uh, CL and I do have a day job and then we do this at night. uh, So I'm an aspiring author and uh, a, a leader in my church for the men's group. I've done that for many, many years and really enjoy connecting with men and helping them connect uh, with faith. And uh, my daughter is a military army and she's stationed in uh, Alaska. And so, you know I'm a veteran myself, a Marine Corps veteran. And so I'm just happy to be here. Now, I'm gonna tell you just really, like CL said in the onset, it really just, what broke me down when that when that shooting happened was I seen a gentleman on Facebook doing coffins for babies. And it just, I, I weeped. I just, it really just touched my heart. And I, I was weeping, man. I'm thinking that's real parents, that's real kids that are really struggling. And it really, you know, it, it really struck me. And so as I prepared for this, and I was like, see yeah, man, I was agonizing about this and I was trying to prepare something really thoughtful. So I just, I just took an approach like this, okay? So I did a search on the web for the nine elementary schools in my town in New Bern, North Carolina. So what I found was quite alarming. So no names, I'm not calling those schools out. But on the websites, only one school mentioned drills for fire, tornado, or lockdown procedures. The other eight did not have no protocols, could not find anything on their website. So I thought to myself, hmm, what do these schools do? because CL said it too as well, that is these schools are soft targets. They can just any person can just run in there. And everybody's caught off guard. So um, what I did was I ran the numbers. Uh, on, on average, there was 26 teachers in this school, that's someone's dad, mom, brother, or sister. Um, on average, that's 460 students per school. That's precious souls. Um, I ask you here, you know, that we all know that those are our babies. That's the future. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's how serious it is. Um, other things that I found on school websites, and I know it was summer, so they had like mission statements, fall schedules. But I also noticed a strong social media presence: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter—all that's great stuff. But again, there was nothing talking about the basics of what to do in an emergency and how to protect in case something happened. I just can't believe that. So then I then I took a different path and I said, well, think about how we all do things in life, like we buy cars that are safe, we wear our seatbelts, we get alarms for our house, you know, we, you know, do things to keep ourselves safe. We go to a restaurant and how many of us go to a restaurant and see a, a sanitation rating of like 80 and we say, not today, I forgot my wallet, I'm going to go somewhere else. So we go down the street and go somewhere it says 95% sanitation rating. So everything we do, there seems to be so much safety embedded in what we do, but yet we're just almost MIA as a society when it comes to this problem in our children. I just, uh, I just get that sense, you know. And this is not poking nobody in the eye; just more like thought provoking to get everybody to think. Hmm, if we spend so much time on everything else, but yet when it comes to the real deal, it's just, it just makes me wonder. Um, so said here's here, and here's what it is. Imagine. Here's a solution. Imagine if each of us in our respective town went to a school board meeting and asked the question, I don't care if you have kids in school, not kids in school, you're a member of a community and you should care about your fellow community and neighbors or whatever. So you go to a school and you say, hey, what is the policy for an active shooter? And then they say, well, we don't have one. And then you ask them, well, why don't you have one? And then you create the dialogue. And then you say, hey, maybe we can form a committee Will volunteer. Will help. Will help write a policy. What can we do as citizens to help? What can we do to help? You know what I'm saying? Because everybody's going to say, "Oh, we don't have the funding. We don't have the money. We can't do it. We don't have time." We'll do it. We'll write it for you. Present it. Implement it. You know, do something. You know what I mean? Don't just talk. Real children have died, and it just—it really just man touches me. So, um, I think if we took. You know, some other things we can do is get a resource officer at a public school. I grew up in a city in Tampa, and seeing a resource officer was not nothing uncommon. That resource officer broke up many fights, and if he's there today, he's, he could stop somebody from running there with a gun. Um, and so um, and last thing on gun violence is everybody hit on it so good was that um, it's not just a gun. It's so many pieces of this puzzle. Um, you know, that we have to talk about and deal with. And in another form we can definitely deal with that. But I just think it's basic, common sense, and frankly, we're we're missing the boat. I mean, you lock your door at night, so someone doesn't just come in and kill you and rob you while you're sleeping. So we're leaving our schools wide open for, for people to just run in there. And it just, it's just, it's a lack of common sense. And I think that we're all failing, you know, And that's, you know, just we're all failing as a society. It's not any one person's fault, but all of us collectively can really do something about it. We have to take some steps. So thanks.
0: Well, that that's very good, Mike. And thank you for your input. Um, You're kind of I'm not going to have anything to say when this is this form is over because he kind of that's kind of my I'm leaning toward that area. But. Uh, Will Augenbright said this and I want to kind of piggybacks off of you I'll go to the online audience first and then we'll go back around the room for people's input he says I did a I did a search of the commonality of those who perpetrated mass shootings including schools mental health childhood abuse previous violent behavior and a recent emotional stressor were the top four reasons one thing also mentioned in the article was The active shooter drills, creating a culture of fear, normalizing schools, being a dangerous place. Now, here's here's where I want us to add this into your mix, Mike, because I sent you and I think I sent Danny the day after that shooting. A picture that disturbed me about the access to a school. Maybe I even sent it to Will. And I've, and, 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 a couple other people, one of the responses I got back was, well, are our schools supposed to be Fort Knox? Are they supposed to be military compounds? You know, we're supposed to make them safe, but they're, they're state run institution, which federally, you know, taxpayer funded institutions where the taxpayers should be able to have access to the school to see their kids. So should it be so complicated and so secure that, you know, you, you can't even get into the place and that's, that's the argument. I'm creating the first rebuttal. Then we'll go around the room that, okay, we want secure schools, but do we want pseudo jails? Right. Just think about that. Do we want secure schools, but do we want places that are, are, you know, you know, guys with armed, you know, military garbs at the front door that greets you. I'm gonna start with Shelby first. What are your what what what? what, Well, that that was just my piggyback off of Mike, but his whole concept was we do have to do something to make our schools safer. What are your thoughts?
6: We do, but I think school to to. I mean, you know, when I was a student, school felt like prison enough already. um, Without (laughs) (laughs) individuals walking around or having to go through metal detectors on our way in. Um, I think those solutions are like putting putting a band-aid on an open wound that you know is is treating the symptom rather than the root cause okay. um, which I think Danny mentioned is is mental health is connection to your peers connection to your family connection to your teachers and your community um, feeling that like when you reach out for people, they're gonna be there for you and listen to you and, and hear your problems. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily think uh, making our schools more tight on that kind of stuff is, is a permanent solution. I think it can make some people feel safer, uh, but, you know, I don't know if that's a healthy learning environment
0: okay excellent Shelby that's why we that's why I told Greg to, to get you because I wanted to hear some I, I'm glad that you that you presented that because I've heard that discussion and our online audience if you guys are just tuning in man we are we are having we are chopping it up I have no time limit I I'm I don't go to bed until three in the morning anyway so Danny well, right? I'm, what'd, I'm you, sure to that. what'd you say
6: well, I go to bed much earlier than that. <laughs> so uh, Well you wanna when you fall
0: asleep, you can just turn your camera off. Uh but but okay, so your your thought process is that uh putting a lot of emphasis on making our schools safer should not make them feel like uh prison encampments and having all this forward presence of armed people, et cetera, correct?
2: I,
6: yes, that is exactly what I'm okay, saying. Okay,
0: Charles, your thoughts?
2: I have to agree with Shelby, um, are uh, like I said, school's hard enough as it is. Um, we've heard different opinions on this, you know, all the way from army teachers and more school resource officers, less school resource officers, um, you know, locking doors. And there, I don't think there's any easy solutions. I, I, I feel that, um, in my opinion, um, School resource officers are, are, are a great thing. Properly trained school resource officers that you know have the full gambit of understanding the dynamic of what they're dealing with in the schools and their responsibilities. You know to protect the students, but also to not be that heavy-handed. You know Gestapo type. You know rigid. Uh, that to rule by fear. Um, I I believe that the environment that was fostered in my I was was raised in a small town Greg can tell you about what we were raised from Um, the guidance counselors and the teachers they all were like we respect them as parents you know Mm -hmm. Um, not just being our teachers but also kind of like they were the um, outstanding individuals in the community so That respect and, uh, I I guess, not necessarily fear, but just the place of honor we had them in back then was a different thing now. Uh, Now, I I, I feel like from Columbine to today, uh, you know, I look back on Columbine as the first, uh, I think, really brought this gun violence thing and, you know, the school shootings to the atmosphere. If you look at the way they were dressed and the way they carried themselves, it was cool to be like the people in the Matrix. Okay, that's what their whole precept was to me. That's just the way I interpreted. That that's what they got from that is, you know, I'm gonna go in here. And I'm going out with a blaze of glory, and there probably was some indicators there, uh, from from the get go, and there's probably some things that could have been put in place there to keep to keep them from bringing all that to you know to the school, uh, but what I've seen. But for almost the exception is most of these kids that had access to these guns, uh, the parents, it started in the home where the parents didn't what, what monitor what they were trying to do, what they were researching, you know, how they got access to the guns, who they were, you know, what they were looking at and what type of guns they were researching. So that's a big part of it is, you know, you can lock a school down all day long or, or try to, Uh but if 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 an individual i feel if an individual really wants to get a gun into a school or try to do something they are going to find a way you know there's going to be a way there we have to change it you know i I think we still have to change it that um the um just the, the way of thinking the thought process that goes into that and there were some heroic actions. These teachers, I have to applaud anybody that's an education uh, educator in the school system today. Almost without exception, all these uh, school shootings. There's been some teachers that sacrificed their own lives to protect their students, and that's what that's what you go to school to. That's what you go to school to expect that you're going to be taught and nurtured and but protected the whole time you're there. You know that you're in a, a safe a safe atmosphere, and so I, I think. Um, the these active shooter things as, as uh, Mike brought up, we have to get these policies in place that these teachers that are there know what to do to secure their schools. I, I'm not saying it's locked for the time you go in, for the time you go out, but once there's a perceived threat, there should be a policy to just like you said, inclement weather or uh, fire fire drill anything else. You need to put these practices into place and, and actively Promote them uh, so that everybody knows exactly that it's almost an automatic response. If this alarm goes off, or this code goes off, this is what we do, and this is what we do to protect ourselves. Right. Thank you for
0: sharing. I agree with that. Uh, from our audience, real quick, before I get to you, Danny. Instead of going, uh, Dustin says, instead of going uh, military route, why not consider a volunteer parent program? No one will protect kids better than the parents, moms, dads. When they are not working, volunteering in the schools to be those mentors and parents uh, that some of the kids are missing. Um, Katrina McCain says more needs to be done. She's coming from a mother whose son teaches in schools every day with no where kids have no respect for authority. Danny, your former educator, uh, Mike says there's there's no real documentation on on the school's plans for for safety in response um, he talked about parents going to the board of ed asking about uh, how they can get involved in the active shooter protocols uh, resource officers at all schools what are your thoughts Danny
5: well I I, my, I think my thoughts run sort of tangent to Shelby and Charles <laughs> and it ties into what I was mentioning about not knowing how our organizations, institutions were going to emerge given, you know, the changes that are happening in our society right now, you know? Okay. And I know that talking about things like guns, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's a divisive issue, you know? And I don't, even, I don't, I don't really even want to voice it on any opinions about, you know, that, but I think that one of the fears, one of the risks that we run is, is that we want to treat symptoms, right? We want to say, hey, well, a school's unsafe. How do we make it safe? Well, there are guns out there. Let's put guns in there. I mean, you know, things like that. And, and unfortunately, you heard that saying that says, whatever, you know, all you have is a hammer. Every, every problem looks like a nail. And, and that's, that's one of the risks I think we run into is that in the short term, it feels good because, hey, we're doing something. At least we're doing something. And and, and there's something to be said about that. I'm not criticizing that. okay But I think that we need to be, as they say, you know, be able to chew gum and, and walk at the same time. Have short-term plans, have short, short-term short strategies, and have long-term plans and long-term strategies. Okay. Yeah, some of the short-term are definitely – you know protecting the people who are most vulnerable right but the long term is is to is treating the causes and i'm not saying i have the answers to that either yeah. but i think if institutions would get together and create that synergy then we can crowdsource answers that are going to be much better than any one person will be able to come up with them on their own.
0: I really like that. That was good. Um, but, Danny, I'm paying you $300,000 a year, so I expect you to have answers. That's just the way it is. Okay, brother?
5: That's it. Okay. An <laughs> he's, he's uh, for that, I want to an answer. he's He said, for
0: that, I could give you something better, right? <laughs> I can <get> an <laughs> okay, Don. The, the man Don Roberts. I got your name memorized, even though his name on the screen is Slow Mo, nineteen sixty two. I got both names. I'm gonna call him Slow Mo when I meet him in person. But he's our friend Don. Don, what are your thoughts on Mike's uh, approach and and recommendations for? Hey man, we gotta we gotta get uh, better better organized on our our safety protocols have having parents involved to, to help engage this and, uh, you know, getting our schools secure. What's your thoughts, Don?
4: Hey, uh, Mike, he's just up the street from me. I'm down in Havelock. He's, He's only 20 miles up the road. So what he said, I, I, I heard him. Okay. Um, I think I told you that, uh, for the last 21 years, I've been a sports official for, uh, basketball, baseball, football, softball. So year round, I'm in these schools, and uh, I got to tell you that a school is not going to be in lockdown until they're in lockdown. Does that make sense? Okay uh, I, I serve 59 schools from Wilmington to Goldsboro uh, to the coast. and uh, not all student body knows me. Not all coaches know me, but I have yet one time, I'm telling you hundred percent of the time walked right into school with a duffel bag with wheels on. So, yeah, Mike. I think we need some training. Uh, um, I think that should be brought up because if I could do it with a duffel bag and wheels on it, um, just a, a normal man in casual clothes, I think anybody can. And I've never been stopped. So, and, and I'm I'm just saying as a professional, uh, you know, I, I'm a high school sports official. That's that's my uh, my actor day day job. You know, um, so schools ain't in lockdown until they're in lockdown. Until something happens, then they go into lockdown, at least in my area. I I can honestly say that. Um, So, yeah, Mike, I agree with you. Uh, I do think there needs to be some more training. Maybe not with uh, the student body, but maybe with the faculties. uh, Have drills with the faculties at least so they know what's going on. Um, Yeah, uh, that's about all I got on that there. I agree with him 100%
0: that's good uh slow mo and 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 you know you're right cuz i've done the same thing uh i've i found cuz you know i'm a speaker and i speak in schools so i have frequent schools quite a bit and sure. i i have a i have a tendency of showing up at a school wherever i may be and there are some you can see just us military folks see vulnerabilities you know what i'm saying and so i know what shelby has said that we don't want to turn the schools into Bob wire barbed and wire. Neither do I. And, and, neither do and I. I don't think any of us do, but I, I will say this. And let me, before I get to Celia, I know you chomping at the bit, Celia, nine 11 was one event. It was one event. It wasn't 20. It wasn't 30. It was one that to this day, to see my son go fly off. I got to take my shoes off, my belt, my phone, all that. The last time I saw him off to go back to Colorado, these clowns had the audacity to search me. C.L. King, the international impact motivator being stopped and searched. The audacity. And I really got my, got my feelings for a minute, but I had to remember that I said, okay, if this person, bit of inconvenience is going to maybe supplant some clown that wants to take down the plane that I'm on. I'm okay with the inconvenience. 9-11 was one. Second thing SROs are limited. Want y'all to understand that. And, and uh slow mo, you might know this. They share some of these SROs amongst schools. Y'all know that? So they got SRO for elementary school and he bounced between four elementary schools or two elementary schools. So it ain't like, it ain't like there's a, there's a warm body. There's a full time employee for every, every campus.
4: Why? Here they're also employed for every sporting event. SROs are at every sporting event here. Well, in North Carolina.
0: anyway. Right. But, but, but conversely, they're not at every school all day is what I'm saying. So you got an elementary school that's bouncing bouncing one resource officer between three schools because we don't have the funding to have a resource officer at every school. Right. So would a recommendation be increase the funding to at least if we're not going to do bars and chains and wires and all that, would it be to have the funding to at least have a legitimate designated SRO in every school? That's something you guys can think about. Cecilia, Celia, what are your thoughts on Mike's approach to he's saying we got to secure the schools, we need to get moms and dads involved, and uh, we gotta, we got we to step it up a notch. What's your thoughts?
1: Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned 9-11 because one of the things I was going to say is that in the name of invasion of privacy, uh, we citizens of the United States hesitate <clears throat> to put things in place for the security of our citizens until something happens, like 9-11 and airport security, when airport security has been a thing in all countries around the world. Um, As someone, not to date myself, who grew up and went through grade school in the 60s, we had bomb drills. Now, the funny thing about bomb drills is that when we had a bomb drill, we had to go under these skinny little metal desks, with wooden tops, like as if the metal desk with the wooden top would save us somehow <laughs> from a from nuclear a bomb. bomb. <laughs> Clearly that was not the case. But we had those bomb drills and I honestly don't remember being affected by it. Um and my children, because I am I lived in the DC metro area, we were affected by the DC sniper. And if you guys remember that, it was two weeks of horror where I lived right in the neighborhood where he and his son began. And schools were on lockdown for two weeks. He left the area. He went down to Virginia. He came back. I did not send my son to school. I was, like, freaked out. I'm like, this kid is not going to school. We had cops all over the schools. It's terrifying. And I did Feel, I guess some amount of security by having that school locked down. I didn't think it was totally safe, but we tend to put things into motion when, you know, when incidents happen instead of thinking ahead. And really, like Danny said, we have short-term solutions and long-term term solutions and the long-term solutions are getting to the core problems really you know handling parents and the way children are raised and um and then of course short-term solutions parent involvement in the schools i i think that has dropped drastically because of jobs that parents have and they have career commitments and they can't get to schools i work for a nursery school i teach kids fitness and I work in a nursery school that's cooperative and it has low enrollment because in order to go to that school you have to be involved in that school and I think that I I don't see a problem with metal detectors in school at all I think they should be embedded in the entrances and all around what is more valuable than our children and nothing I there's nothing in my world that is a priority over children. And I think we have to keep them safe. Do we need barbed wire? Do we need, like, extensive guards with guns? No, I don't think so. But at least metal detectors, I think, is a good short-term solution as we hopefully work to change the generations to come.
0: You know, and, and okay, I'm just going to just just belabor this just for a few more moments before we get to Don. Uh, where did you go? What's, what is her name? Shelby, where did you go? She, she disappeared. She probably Cooking some food in the background. Don't want us to see it, Shelby. You you talked. To, I'm just teasing. You said that school. You you said that school was whatever you you whatever words you used. It was prohibitive enough. The last thing you wanted was more, you know, things. You know, making it feel more like jail. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. And I and I I'm on probably on the other side of the fence. But should we do anything in the aftermath? of this Uvalde, Texas shooting to secure our schools more? Should we do anything or should we leave them as is?
6: So, you know, I am of the generation where this was starting to become an issue when I was in school. Right. So I remember when we started locking all of our doors, except for the front door at my, my high school, I remember when people started being required to sign in, uh, I remember when we started doing active shooter drills and, you know, those things are just standard practice in schools now, in my opinion. I don't think that is, you know, making a school more like a prison. I think those are necessary precautions. Um, But I don't think, for example, there's a lot of discussion on teachers carrying guns. I don't think that that is is a viable solution in any way um, because it makes the environment right more like a prison people are carrying guns around you um it creates a stressful learning environment a high tension environment there's risk uh for all kinds of issues uh so I, I i don't disagree there are safety precautions that need to be in place and most of those are already in place as far as um the precautions we can take at schools while maintaining a healthy learning environment for our children
0: okay I, okay that's great that was a great response. Uh, Mike, what do you got? do you do you do you do you still you you still stand with where you are in terms of, hey, man, we need to take some actions?
3: You know, I respect everybody in the panel. Everybody had really great things to say. I think that um, I kind of stand firm that you know until we see protocol, whether that's a resource officer or parents getting involved, it's almost like I liken it to, we're always trying to catch up to where society is really at. Are we denying reality? that kids are getting shot, you know, it's a reality. So we have to really seriously look at the reality of it and the totality of it and take action inaction is worse than the wrong action. We can always say, Oh, try that. That's stupid. Well, we'll readjust, but inaction I think is worse. And, and I, I kind of stick to my, you know, stick to my points, but I totally respect everybody's, uh, you know, a few points and, uh, even Shelby, you know, I, I definitely don't want to make it like a military camp, but but just for me, my personal experience growing up in a, in a big city and seeing a resource officer, I, I, it didn't affect me. And I was glad that the resource officer was breaking up fights because kids were fighting. There was no guns, but kids were fighting. And there was a lot of fights. It was not uncommon to see fights, you know, but I was in a big school, high school of like 600 people. So I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying the schools. And one last point is that the schools that are most at risk, the soft targets, are these elementary schools. And just my last thought that blows my mind is that schools are primarily a gun-free zone. And so it's like, hmm, if it's a gun-free zone, it didn't stop that kid from going in there and doing what he did. So I, I just think we really have to, you know, take all of all the points and Put it on the table and do and do something we yep. have to do something that's why
0: we're talking here that's a great follow-up uh, our, our online audience says this. one of our members says we are past the point of expecting our schools to look and feel normalized they stopped when we had to force masks in school on five-year-olds oh my lord we get heavy danny our kids have been more our kids have have seen more violence and choose to ingest violence on tv in their own neighborhoods I don't think providing uh, the amount of security necessary will traumatize an already desensitized school environment. Desensitization in as young as five and six year olds is prominent. We put U.S. Marshals undercover on planes. Why not increase security undercover without scaring the kids uh that would be a great idea so man that, that i'm I, you know we'll be here till midnight if we went on that way. because i know daddy got something let me go ahead and get slow mo 1962 the man and the ref that i probably fussed that at a game or two uh don roberts there don tell us a little bit about yourself and give us your thoughts on how we can keep our schools our kids safe
4: okay uh real brief uh y'all know i'm a referee but uh prior to that uh, 42 years in government service i retired as a marine in 2000 uh, went into Ooh. civil service right after that and retired again three weeks ago so so i don't have a day job anymore
5: <laughs> thank
0: you um, for your service thank you for your service
4: I, I appreciate that um where do i think we need to go so we all know that you know uh the senate and the house they uh they passed the bill and it's on to joe biden's desk now and And I I got to look over that. I did some research and, uh, you know, everything that was in that bill. And I I consider myself a conservative, you know, moderate conservative. And there's nothing in that bill that I disagreed with. But when we first started talking, and you got my uh, first input on the money that was diverted in Texas to go from mental health to border security, well, guess what the first thing in the bill was? They're going to send states a lot of money for mental health. Well, if it's going to mental health, my thing is, where's the oversight? Make sure it goes to mental health. The second thing that was in that bill was a lot of money is going to go to the states for school security. So let's make sure that money goes to school security, uh, and and not, you know, I don't see how there's not oversight when when we're giving all this federal money. And it's not going to what it's earmarked for. I, that blows me away. The um, one thing that wasn't in there that I, I, I could live with was uh, was AR-21 being 21 years old, or AR-15 being 21 years old. Yeah, that doesn't bother me at, 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 at all. But that didn't get put in. Uh, what did bother me a lot and, uh, was the red flag laws. The red flag laws. And this is why it bothered me. When they were discussing all the red flag laws uh, in the House and in the Senate, the one stumbling block they couldn't get over was: okay, we're gonna we're gonna say the government or we'll say the state is going to, uh, Mr. Roberts, I'll use me, okay, has uh, severe PTSD and and he's had suicidal thoughts, and we're gonna take his guns away from him for a while, and and that's good, I agree with that, but the stumbling block in the House and the Senate was: well, how does he get them back? Well. But one side says well let's let's put it in front of a federal judge or a state judge or a local judge to have his rebuttal when he's ready to get his and they couldn't get past that they couldn't get past that so now what was written is they're going to let me read it here they're going to give money to the states to to uh form and develop red flag laws so i just think that needs to be done responsible Because if it's not going to be done, I come from a military community, 42 years, and I've seen guys with PTSD, severe PTSD. I've seen suicides, and I've seen uh, guys at their lowest, okay? And if you were going to take these guys' guns away with no remorse of getting them back, whether it be through arbitration, through a judge, or just no other way, I don't think a lot of these guys... And some friends of mine would ever report their mental illness. So I think these red flag laws need to need to really go into effect uh, in a responsible way, where the where the person that needs the mental health uh, help is not going to not get it because he's not going to be able to retrieve his uh, possessions. So that sort of sums it up for me. Uh, there's probably more in the laws that uh, that's going to the president's desk that I didn't get into, but them were the four that I really uh, looked at and, and Hey, I'm, a, I'm a conservative. Uh, I, I can, I believe in those, those four things uh, again, under 21, whether or not, I don't care about that. that to me, that, that I don't care about that. Um, but the other three, I hope they do what they say they're going to do. And I hope if they allocate money to the States, the States use it for what it's uh, intentions for Or that's all I got,
0: man, it's powerful. And I thank you again, uh, retired 40 plus years of service to your country. Uh, Donald and, uh, will Augenbright says, count me in that group oversight. Let's just start there. Let me, let me go first this time, guys. I believe oversight is a, is a huge thing in my opinion. Okay. Just like I talked about, I did a three night series on the funding that was supposed to be for, foster care in North Carolina that got diverted to other pet projects. And it was only until the USA today did a big, huge series on it that they said, Oh, now we're going to, we need more money. And we promised to send it to where it's supposed to go. Now that, that I was, I was fit to be tied when I was doing that three day series, Don, because if you, if we say we need money to do the particular thing, then let's do that thing. Okay. If we're really serious about making this, making these things making these things change. I don't know a lot about the red flag laws, but I did want to ask you as a follow-up, what do you think about a 7-day waiting period to purchase a weapon? Don, what what are your thoughts? I want to ask you specifically.
4: That doesn't bother me in the slightest. I could wait 7 days to 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 get any any weapon or or rifle or pistol. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. Do I think they expand a the background check? Doesn't bother me. Okay. I have nothing to hide. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't bother
0: me. All right. Because, you know, that's... And and we're going to go to Shelby first. Shelby, that's some of the discussions that we hear on both sides. You know, there should be no waiting, no red flags. Um, There should be... Give the money with no oversight, etc. But you know, some people have an issue with it. You know, us saying, "Hey, let's let's make the purchase of this particular type of weapon. Let's make that age 21 versus 18." Some people have have stren, you know strenuous thoughts over that because that's that's dipping into the to the amendment. You know, the Second Amendment. What are your thoughts in terms of of what Don has laid out in ter, you know relative to let's get some oversight? uh no problems with uh the age being 21 no problem but let's get clear defined red flag laws and not just willy-nilly because you know you could be doing more harm than good where people won't report their mental health status um and and what what are your thoughts on what he proposed as you know keeping our kids safe
6: Yeah the first thing I want to do is thank you Don for bringing up the perspective on the red flag laws that is something I had never thought of um, as far as people not reporting mental health issues out of fear that they're going to lose their firearms. Um, and I think not reporting those mental health issues is 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 a possibly a bigger issue. Um, I. I would uh, say I'm inclined to think that I don't see a reason anyone should own a weapon of war um, or an assault rifle. I think those weapons were designed to kill a lot of people very quickly. So I think raising the age to 21 is great. I think deciding if we, we want these kind of guns in our culture as a whole is is uh, is an entirely different issue. Um Yeah. So I, you know, I think I think there's more to be explored there. I think these weapons um, particularly have been used in a lot of high profile cases. Um, and so maybe that's something to be looked at.
0: Shelby, I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to uh, just ride ride this conversation just for a second. Then we're going to Charles, Danny, Mike. Okay. And and uh, no, we're going to Charles, Danny, Celia, then Mike. What do you consider a weapon of war? I'm yeah. I'm asking the- I'm asking for the general populace because I've heard that statement before that yeah. you know particular weapons are weapons of war but if if I if I was being the devil's advocate I could say that any weapon could be considered a weapon of war.
6: Yeah and statistically in in mass shooting events handguns are actually the most frequently used weapon. Right. But if we think of police response time and we think of response time to these incidents, I think when we're dealing with um, high capacity magazines, for example, on semi-automatic weapons, um, you're looking at something that can do a lot of damage in a very short amount of time. um, and, And police response time is not going to be Um, comparable to those things so and maybe you know maybe we need to look at those high capacity magazines and the uh the accessories you can sell with those kinds of weapons but when i'm talking about weapons of war i'm talking about specifically uh semi-automatic rifles okay
0: very well uh I said Charles, right? Charles Bigelow up there in Atlanta, well, south of Atlanta, somewhere in the Georgia area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's, your, area. <laughs> what's, what's your thoughts on slow mo nineteen sixty two, Mister Roberts? Thoughts?
2: Well, I I think Mister Roberts had some very cognitive points about uh, about you know what they're passing in this in this gun legislation. For one thing, I I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to applaud the courage of you know. Of our elected officials to finally, uh, you know, address the need that we have to change uh, some of the some of the regulation and how, how we regulate our uh, guns. Uh, what Shelby said about guns, about you know, I guess you said uh, weapons of war. The thing about it, when you go back to the American Revolution, back then uh, most guns were manufactured in a, you know, they were most of them were handmade until Eli Whitney came along. And you know, cause everybody know Eli Whitney about the cotton gin, they don't know also that he kind of, kind of, uh, modernized how we manufacture weapons so everybody could get one. So, you know, they were they were kind of uh, concise. You know, it, it, you know you could mass produce them. That's what I'm trying to say. But with uh, what everybody perceives now is everybody's on the AR-15, which you know our model is the the M16 or whatever else. That was a weapon that was manufactured, to be made to be easy to shoot, uh, easy to you know put rounds on target, you know to be able to 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 really kill, you know to be proficient in what it what it was designed to do, and so limiting access to that, uh, you know to, to have a well regulated militia, and the the word of that being well regulated, which means well trained and well disciplined yes I, I think there there's no problem with people accessing those type of weapons that have been trained and over the age of 21 uh because there's a certain level of maturity and training that needs to go with the responsibility of responsible gun gun ownership i don't think that that right needs to be infringed upon uh, but that being said also you know what shelby was saying is that just to have willy-nilly access uh and there were so many, the, the, what I've seen here lately is there's so many ways individuals have been able to get around the laws that have been able to, that were put in place to restrict them from being able to get these guns. You know, when you look at uh, uh, individuals that are 17 or younger still being able to get a friend or somebody else to get, you know, to buy them a weapon or the, even their parents because of their beliefs, and I'm not going to knock what you train and believe what you teach your kids because that's your own uh, mental, you know, your, your mindset. Right, 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 right. But that being said, there's a whole lot of responsibility goes with, with gun ownership on any level. And uh, Don brought it out that, you know, the red flag laws, because me, myself, being a retired veteran. Uh, thank that, you for your uh, service. Retired, thank you, retired combat veteran. There's a lot of stigma that goes with that because the first thing the VA is going to tell you when you're in the VA system is if you have any type of, any type of perceived issue is get rid of your guns. You know, you need the first thing you need to do. Uh, that's the first thing my wife, that's the first thing I told my wife was, you know, make sure he doesn't have any guns the right house. Uh, no, <laughs> you know, that being said, um, there, I think there should be a clear criteria about what needs to be done. Now, one of the points that, that Don brought up was about, the funding for school security, and there's money earmarked for that, but who determines, I, I think it needs to be clearly defined, who determines what level of, you know, what, what constitutes school security, what, what measures are put in place. Because say, okay, we're going to give you this bunch of money, so they can say, okay, I'm just going to get a bigger door. That's school security. Right. Have you trained anybody? Have you trained, you know, have you? is any of that school security money going to to Training, you know, the teachers, or as he said, uh, as Mike said, is are you using that money to have an active shooter policy in place? You know, to bring somebody in, you know, have somebody assess what your needs are, right? So, I, I think that needs to be defined. You can't just say, Well, we got money for school security and you do what you want to with it because it, it'll slowly get pushed off to something else. You know, you know, it'll get pushed yeah, off yeah, to yeah, another yeah, program. Yeah, they do if you leave it to interpretation. right? So I think it needs to be clearly defined. Um, I think something else, uh, let me see, undercover security in, in the schools. I I believe that, if, like I said, with those heroes that actually did what they were supposed to do, they were the best in undercover security in the schools Since so those teachers knew what they needed to do to keep their students safe about locking doors and, you know, we, they were willing to, you know, do whatever it took to keep those those kids safe. And that's the type of individuals that, you know, we need to have in our school system that, that understand their responsibility. Uh, everybody doesn't do that. I mean, you even had law enforcement, and I'm not knocking our law enforcement at all because I know there's people that serve selflessly and are willing to put their lives on the line for anything. But, you know, it's coming to, it's coming to light now that there was a lot of people that were – Unwilling, or right. you know, probably didn't just didn't know what to do. I'm I'm gonna put it to they didn't know what to do, and on the side of caution, of, abundance of caution, I'm gonna clean up as best I can to protect their officers. They made some, maybe not correct decisions. You know, yeah. they they erred on the side of protecting their officers, and not on the side of protecting the kids. So I think that needs to be addressed as well. Um,
0: Well, real quick, uh, I got it in that I appreciate your rebuttal there. And thank you again for your service. One online comment says I'll do one better. Go back um, going back to the well-regulated component of the Second Amendment, a second amendment, a prerequisite for uh, purchasing a weapon could be training certification. And I've had this as an idea. Like if you purchase a weapon, you should be trained and certified. Right. Because I'll just be honest with you. One of my nine meals, I just bought off a brother in church (laughs) when I was not when I was nineteen. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hey, that looks shiny. I need Mike. We was trying to shoot it the other couple weeks ago together. It jammed up. I had shot it the whole time. I owned it and I bought it when I was nineteen. But nonetheless, it was unregulated and I was undrained with it at that particular time. Uh, He goes on to say, he goes on to say on the weapons of war issue, the Second Amendment is specifically. For war with a tyrannical government, uh, that's where the discussion gets derailed. We hinder our ability to respond to threats when we, uh, when we wield sticks and stones and an enemy at an enemy with tanks and rifles. And you know, when you look at the Second Amendment, it really does deal with that. Um, you know, in terms of why it was even created so that's that's just your thoughts uh Danny we need your insights in response to Don's uh you know he talked about red flag laws he had no problems with 7 day 21 age etc what are you, what are your thoughts on on oversight and red flag laws
5: um so <clears throat> that ties in with with my um the idea that the the the, the idea that I had about Organizations, you know, collaborating, mm-hmm. and you know, because one of the one of the reasons that that I think that a lot of funds get diverted is because we reach political stalemates and the money just sits there because we can't come to a decision together. OK. Uh, you know, we can't we can't make a decision. So we can't we can't devise a strategy to even implement. Right. So the money sits there and it looks like it's doing nothing. So people start moving the money. Uh, that's that's my opinion. So it's it's a part of it's a, it's a it's it's something it's a an aspect of our system and and the dysfunctions those threads of dysfunction that run through it sometimes not all the time because I think we have one of the better systems in the world but when it get when it becomes dysfunctional it's obvious. Danny, let me when, just when, let me just
0: those, Danny, let me just ask you relative to our collaborative yeah. a- efforts, do you think? In the last 20, 25 years, we've become less willing to collaborate. I know we've talked about this before. Yeah,
5: yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I mean, I, I think that I have I have my own theories about why that's occurring. Okay, but I think it has something to do with social media. I think that once we once we uh, click on a link, that automatically everyone says, "Hey, Danny likes." the Democrats, and he likes their rhetoric, or Danny likes the conservatives, and they and he likes their rhetoric. Uh-huh. So we're going to pipe it and phone it to Danny and to the point that Danny becomes quasi-radicalized. I get it. So he sees the, uh, the people on the other side of the aisle as nothing but the, the enemy. Right. So any, any uh, collaboration is going down the drain. Right. It's not going to happen. So that, that's, I think that, that happens. As far as, let me throw this in real quick. As far as the uh, red flag laws, I, I I I know that they are problematic, but I see them as good experiments. So the one thing that we have to be able to do is to collaborate, cooperate enough to say, hey, let's try this. Yes. And when it doesn't work, we tweak it and make it better and better and better. Of course, something something raw and new is going to be, it's gonna have its flaws right. and, and kinks. But we have to be willing to work together to make to work the kinks out.
0: Man, I one hundred percent agree with that. And and I'm not I know you're not running for office, but I'm just like, man, let's put something together on the table. And it doesn't have to be the end all be all, right? We sometimes think yeah. if we can't get all or not nothing. That's right. Right. We we can't get all or nothing, then we're not doing it. Let's put it on here and let's at least see if it' Semi works and then let's make improvements as we go along.
5: Roger that. Celia?
0: I'm sorry. I we'll got, got to get to Celia. Celia, you're, you're, okay. uh, because Danny, you're running out of sunlight out there, bro.
5: <laughs> I had to get out here so I could get the, uh, internet. But, yes, sir. I well, uh, gonna... stay put.
0: Don't move. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go ahead, Celia.
1: Danny, I, I agree with you. And, uh, I, I think as far as, um, like Don said, the, the waiting period got no problem with that. You know, we wait for everything. We wait we wait for passports. we wait for eyeglasses. What, what's the rush in getting a gun? You know, why does that have to be handed to you overnight? I think waiting areas, are, waiting um, periods are great. I think age restriction is great. I think 21 years is, is a good time. Um, human brain doesn't f- finish developing till we're 25, 25 so yep. we're giving underdeveloped brains, you know, these weapons, and it's it's a lot to remember about kids is their brains are not developed. So, so developing. Celia,
0: before before you go on, let me let me give you some some rebuttals that I've heard to your to your discussion on 21. People will say this we send our 18 year olds off to combat. What's your response?
1: Exactly. We do send our 18 year olds off to combat. And, uh, I think to own guns, I think the key is not necessarily a stoppage at 18 or 21, but, like some others have said, training is key, responsible gun ownership. And people that serve in our military, uh, serve as police, all of that, they are trained to handle a gun. So if you're trained, then that qualifies you. I think a lot of problems is irresponsible gun ownership. You know, children are killed by not just people walking into schools, but each other. Because there's a loaded gun sitting in a house that is at their, you know, at their ability to grab and use. And what child's not going to pick it up and go, oh, this is cool. I know when we were kids, I I mentioned I grew up with guns. I was trained how to use them, clean them, went to rifle ranges. And but I was never allowed to play with toy guns, never allowed to play with toy guns. They were not allowed in our house because any toy gun can be mistaken for a real gun That's something. and I think responsible gun ownership and training is a huge piece of the puzzle
0: that's powerful I mean that's something I've I don't I if I recall my Jeremiah when he watches this he probably he doesn't ever watch my stuff but if he does watch this I think I re- did that with my kids they did get toy guns but I didn't let them point them I think at me. <laughs> I think that's what I did. I said, don't point that at me. Okay. <laughs> Y'all point that at each other. On the online, it says Will says red flag laws are unconstitutional as it circumvents the due process of an individual. We become guilty until proven innocent. And just as I said earlier, I'm listed as suffering from PTSD through VA disability. And will be a candidate for these laws. If that's the case, I'll fake the funk and ignore my issue in order to maintain my rights. Ooh, that's a tough one. Mike, what do you, what do you think about Don's? um, What do you think about Don? We're, you know, it's right on your mind about red flag, red flag. But what do you think about what Don brought to the table?
3: So uh, first, Don, thanks again for your service, 42 years. Now that you're retired, you have time to read, read stuff, I imagine, so I'm going to be hitting you up and asking you questions. <laughs> um, I did hear uh, about the red flag laws, and I tend to agree with what the last um, guy said that you just read off his thing, so tied into what um, Don said, that seven days is cool, uh, age limit is cool. Um, I think the term weapons of war, is so we have to define what weapons of war, so like, M16 is fully automatic, you know, being a military veteran, Marine veteran, the uh, AR-15s are civilianized. It's not fully automatic. So technically, it's not a weapon of war, even though it looks very similar. So it's education and just telling people how it, how it is versus what it's not. Um, Red flag's law really scared me because I do think it is a usurp of uh, what the guy said that, you know, if they take away your guns, then you have to fight to get it back. So like, good example would be, say someone gets on the terror watch list of no fly, so let's say that you have to adjudicate, hey, I was just upset, you know, I lost my wife or something happened, you know, and then they put you on the no fly list. So once you're in that zone to where your rights are taken away, or your guns are taken away, it's just, you know, you want to think that the government's going to use that power uh, thoughtfully. But let's hope they take the same thoughtful approach as to securing the schools as they do in the red flag laws so i I think it's part and parcel to there's mass shootings we have to do something okay but you know we we as a citizen we we have to stay on top of them stay on top of our elected officials and stay engaged we don't just need to sit back and say oh they're going to do the right thing no i don't agree with that i don't think that they're always going to do the right thing we have to check and balance and keep on that because you know, it is goes back to our fundamental right to have a weapons, Second Amendment right, and it, we do have a gun culture. So we go back to the reality. What's the reality? This is the reality of it. It's a very divisive. This is a divisive uh, conversation. Everybody's so cool and calm. I wish we could have this tone with our elected officials, and <laughs> we could try to teach them something. Right. <laughs> to be honest, so. Thank well, you.
0: Well that's because I control the thing that can kick you out the room. So <laughs> Exactly.
3: And, and and I know you, so if you give me a look, I kinda that's right. change my conversation. <laughs> so
0: uh someone online says, Maybe a stipulation uh to anyone who is incarcerated. Uh just your thoughts, thumbs up, thumbs down on this one guys, so we can keep it moving. Anyone who is incarcerated on any charge, large or small, should automatically be denied access to own a weapon or revoke access for a period of time. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay, I was just showing you whether to do. Okay, what would you say, Shelby? I didn't see your thumbs. Thumbs up or thumbs down, Shelby?
6: I don't know
0: if I have thought about it enough to make a solid. <laughs> See how that was rapid fire questioning right there, sister. All right, so we're going on to we got Charles and Shelby. Uh, Charles Bigelow is a and Danny. Thank you for your service too. I always forget you're so you're so suave. I forget that you was a sniper too in the military. So uh, thank you for your service. And Charles Bigelow is a is a Marine retired veteran, Semper Fi, Dallas. And uh, so is uh slow mode nineteen sixty two. But Charles is a is a Marine veteran and uh, very well acquainted with our VP, Greg Smith. So, Charles, give us a little bit about yourself and tell us what your your idea is for keeping our kids safe in schools. Charles, the floor is yours.
2: All right. Um, as I said, my name is Charles. First, I, I want to thank y'all for inviting me to participate. You know, in this panel, uh, and you know, thinking enough of my opinion, you know, to let me applaud. Tonight. And I applaud all of y'all for your commitment. You know, trying to instigate change. Uh, but that's you know, dialogue. I think is the first part of this. You know, being able to talk and come together. And we can have different differences of opinions, but as long as we can talk, you know, we can get there together. Um, like I said, with the uh, I served in the Marine Corps for nine years. I, I didn't retire the Marine Corps, oh, so right after nine eleven. Uh, I let my best friend, another one of his acquaintances talk me into going into the Army National Guard and so I ended up in Iraq. <laughs> you know that's why I got my combat service at um, with the Army National Guard. But um, so I've you know I've been trained mainly in the Marine Corps about you know rules of use of force and rules of uh, engagement and you know about gun safety, all the good things. All, all of us as Marines are, you know we understand that. And we know what what you, what you can and can't do, or what you should or shouldn't do. Um, I grew up as a part of a generation with a deep understanding of the value of human life. That that was my main thing. And even being you know, uh, you know, facing combat, I still knew that once that round goes out the chamber, you can't get it back. You right. You know. So, you know. As a Marines you're taught it's one shot, one kill, and you only talk, only taught to shoot center mass, you know. So, all that being said, I think that the the biggest component is that you have to train responsible gun it's responsible gun ownership. It's responsible that you have to have all those components in place that you you train I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not I'm not a big fan of restricting gun ownership. I don't think that's the answer. I, I think that that's a like you said, that's part of our culture, that's part of what we need to do, but I think we need to do more to make sure that the people that are eligible to buy handguns or long guns, or even, because I, it, until probably the last 10 years, I didn't know that with the right uh, permits and licenses, you can buy an automatic weapon. You know, you just have to go through a, another level of scrutiny. I didn't, I didn't know that, but now I do know that. But that's the right path is that you have to be, Held to that accountability, that that level of accountability. It's not about being restrictive. You know, I can get any gun I want to. I've seen, and I'm not knocking out law enforcement individuals. I I, I give them all the props for what they do, but I've seen videos of people giving gun safety classes shoot themselves. You know, you know, there's a video. I seen it. Guy in Detroit. Yep, seen that video. And I'm like, okay, so why wouldn't the kids be terrified of you're supposed to be a responsible gun owner and you just shot yourself and then you're going to pick up a long gun and try to <laughs> you know, tell me everything's okay? So everybody doesn't need a handgun. Everybody doesn't need a, shouldn't have access to a rifle because they haven't, been tra- they haven't been properly trained and they don't have the proper respect for what that weapon can do because in reality that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to take a life whether it's a animal life or it's a human life. That's what it's designed to do at the end of the day. It's not designed to wound anybody. It's designed to take a life. And we have to be I think we have to be more cognizant and teach our, teach all of our citizens, all of our children, all of our, you know, even adults, because some people don't understand that fact that once you pick it up, you can't take it back. And having a bad day is not an excuse. Being bullied is not an excuse. Being you know, traumatized as a child is not an excuse. That's that's, you know, that's just part of the mental health issue part of it. So we have to be cognizant to recognize all of that as well. I feel that as leaders in our community, we have to provide alternative opportunities to our young people to replace their feelings of exclusion and isolation and instead provide programs of inclusion in family and community. And then when we get that going, that will kind of kind of counterbalance some of this all of this anger. I think right now we we have become a society of angry people and we let our anger sometimes spill over and the easy solution is I have to project my power over top of you to make you understand what I'm saying. It's not about power. It's not dialogue. It's not trying to find the middle ground. It's not trying to find uh, common ground or consensus. It's about I'm right and you're wrong. And if we can get away from that, I feel that uh, that'll help us and, and if we can, if we can Get past the lobbies, because we, you know, there's a lot of money put in into lobby lobbying for uh, keeping the right to bear arms. And like I said, I'm not trying to infringe on that at all. I, I just think there's responsible gun ownership, but it's it's become such a political thing now, a political hot issue that either you're right or you're wrong, and you're trying to take away my guns, and that's not what it's about. It's about making sure that that people are properly educated and can be responsible gun owners and I believe that can be responsible gun owners. But there are certain people that just really should be excluded from it. you can't say that, you know, give cart blank to everybody that can own a gun. I don't I don't believe in that. And so I think that uh if we can if we can get a strong, dedicated and united front and present it to the American people in a way they can understand it, then uh, you know, all our voices can be heard and acknowledged, and, and by this effort, you know, we have a positive effect on policy going forward. So you, thank you for letting me share. Man,
0: I appreciate that, Charles, and, you know, I'm I'm going to give you a quick rapid-fire response. This is just a thought before we go around the room on, on rebuttals to Charles's, uh statement. Uh, you say responsible gun owners. You say accountability, training, etc. So this is the this is the go to response that I hear in the media. So what about Chicago? They got the toughest gun laws, they're supposed to be the most responsible, most difficult to get them so is 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 it because we don't have a value of human life? There is no accountability, there's no training, there's no respect. Is that why we see? Chicago seeming to fall off the hinges is is that a is that a is that a is that an example of maybe it's spread out across the country we just don't see it we see it more defined in Chicago but maybe that's what that's what we could be turning to if we don't see some of these things that you're describing are you are you because that's what people immediately say well what about Chicago because they got they got tough gun laws.
2: But well, laws, laws are only as effective as people will, uh, you know. My guiding philosophy back in my rough and rowdy past was nothing is against the law until you get caught. So <laughs> that's true. This, 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 this is my thing. Is criminals are going to do what they're going to do anyway. Right? They're going to do. They don't care what law you have in place. But with, I think with, uh, I know when I was in the ninth grade, it was required. You know. Uh, you had to take a hunter safety course. You had to take a, you know, that was part of uh, my vocational trade. And wow. all that came with, you know, the all aspects of gun safety. Right. And I think we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from that uh, uh, That one caveat. And then the other part of it is with Chicago is it's that issue is a lot deeper. I believe it just, is good Gun, just right. guns. Right. i think it's also the social economical right. thing that's going on there and I, I think that's just like i gotta get mine at all costs you know right
0: and that's, and that's, that's and that's why that's why i brought it up because if you it, ladies and gentlemen i have never done a two hour podcast but i think we're going on two hours tonight two hours and seven minutes we rocking man and they stay and they all stayed imagine that um the the the, the truth of the matter is is that, that exe- what what we talk about with Chicago, we immediately say it's just guns. But in Chicago, in the inner city where I came from, it's more than just that. It is uh, a respect for human life. And why don't we have respect for human life? Because it's not taught in the home. Why, do, why isn't it taught in the home? Because the homes are all divided, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can peel that onion back a million times but what i like what you're saying is it to keep our kids safer in schools we need to have more accountability and and accountability in purchasing a weapon i don't think is bad I, that's just my opinion uh shelby you're next but i want to go to you what do you think about all that charles bigelow said
6: um i think he made a lot of good points um especially with uh, accountability and uh, making sure that gun owners are responsible gun owners. Um, I think that's a great point.
0: Awesome. Danny.
5: I mean, I have to agree. I mean, I'm, I'm all about governance. I think governance is what makes society work. When we, when we become too dogmatic about rights and things like that, I think we're, I think we need to to put it into context, right? And always you always have to have some type of governance in a in a lawful society. Rights are definitely there and rights are important. But it's it's like it's is it we we have to counterbalance that with the, the right for me to go to a you know <laughs> for my kid to go to school. Right. And get an education or counterbalance that right with me feeling safe in a movie theater, right, or the bookstore or coffee shop. So we have so we I think we can respect rights, embrace rights, but also be practical about you know what how we you know dictate and move within our our rights within our rights
0: i get it yeah because i mean yeah. you're right You i, I get it 100 what you're saying and i i i appreciate that uh don value you know we got to learn to value human life accountability training respect uh and get a united front on these issues what are your thoughts uh,
4: charles uh hunter safety course alive and well still here in north carolina uh, to get licensed to go hunting, uh, just throw that out there. Uh, also, uh, you, you, you're probably going to see in this in this bill some s- new storage laws. Um, in, and on the surface, the storage of your weapons might uh, seem non-sequential, but if you're talking a $16 trigger lock over a $1,000 safe, again, they need a. They, they're going to have to word and, and put the, all that uh, in place when it gets to the states um training training yeah uh i think I, when i hear that, that the only the only thing i'm going to be devil's advocate on is we go all the way back to still first comment is intent so uh what's training going to do to that intent of, of somebody to hurt somebody um training will help uh, some some innocent uh accidents of course that are and i'm all for training and and, and gun safety but uh, I, I'm falling back on intent. I don't know what has, how that's going to stop uh, somebody that's going to want to hurt somebody.
0: All right, thank you. Uh, Celia?
1: Um, I think an important thing that Charles brought uh, to the table too was dialogue and exactly what we're doing here, which has been lost somehow in the world for years now. I mean, it's right. you know, it's like if you don't agree with me, I block you. I, you know, you're out of my life. I ghost you. Yeah. And we have to start having dialogue. We have to start listening to each other. We have to start finding common ground with people that we don't agree with and discovering the valid points that they have to form their opinion. Right. You know, I I think so often people act like disagreeing is like a new thing we've been disagreeing for centuries and yet (laughs) we don't end friendships and end lifelong you know uh relationships simply because we don't agree on something and this what makes this so great is we're all talking from all different points of life and all different viewpoints and we're listening to each other and we're doing it calmly and we're no one's getting like out of control. Everyone's in control of their emotions and their feelings. And we need more of this. We need more of understanding different viewpoints, not, oh, well, if you're a card holding member of the NRA, you are garbage. Right. You know, my father was a card holding member of the NRA, you know, and he was a great man. And, you know, we have to start listening. We have to start listening to everyone's point of view and finding common ground. Cause we all have common ground. We all care about our babies. Right. We all want to keep children safe. They do not deserve to die. Certainly not at their young age. I mean, we're, none of us are getting ha- out of here alive right. and eventually we're all going, but wouldn't it be nice to allow these kids to live their life and live their passions and be put here and live out the reason why they were put here. And, Just-
0: so that's what I wanted to touch on. That's all, That's awesome, Celia. <laughs> you know running the podcast. You got to keep it moving all the time, baby. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say, Black?
3: Yeah, I think that uh, Charles drops a good points. Um, is It's just education, you know, being trained. Um, I do think to parse out where um, it, it seems like, you know, like I think Celia touched on it, but it seems like it's like all or nothing. And so um, I was thinking to myself, that there was, there's this thing in our constitution that says to ratify and amend the constitution, it takes two-thirds house majority. And so then I got to thinking, you think they would ever try to ratify the Second Amendment? And it's like here we are talking about this stuff, and we're saying, Let's try this and let's try that. Like right. you know, what's unique about being American is we don't agree on anything. And and silly you pointed to that, we don't agree on nothing. <laughs> and that's it's it's part of our Uniqueness of being Americans, but we can agree on certain things, and we do agree on things. So it's it's kind of like such a uh, contradiction, but if it's uniquely American, and, and I think we all can understand that. So thanks.
0: I think uh, I think uh, I think the reality is is that you're you're right. Everyone has an opinion. Social media has contributed to that because everyone has a platform. Give everyone a platform they have their opinion and they can magnify their opinion via their platform positives and negatives to that. I'm not saying shut down social media, but I am saying that that we've seen, if you probably look at the trajectory of the two where disagreement and, and not being able to work in unity on anything has, has come more to the forefront It's probably be just, you know, because people are their own islands and man, we got to come together. That's for sure. Shelby, I've never met you before. I don't uh, but if Greg says you're qualified and good to go, then you're good to go cuz Greg as far as I'm concerned, he eats at the table first. And he said, "Yeah, you're going to love having Shelby on the show, and we're thankful that you've stuck it out with us." I, I mean, this has been this has been 2 hours and 15 minutes, black. This is the longest podcast in history, and I think it's the probably one of the most important. Uh, th- this type of format it doesn't always work. You can even look at live TV and they start cussing each other out on live TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so Shelby, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're 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 our closer tonight, and then give okay. us give us your insights on what you feel we need to do to keep our kids safe. Shelby, go ahead.
6: Okay, I um worked with greg at newburn police department for um right around a year i'm actually trained as an archaeologist and i left the police department to pursue my career in archaeology um so i have a degree in anthropology and i'm currently working as a field archaeologist out of columbus ohio
0: well just for the record i almost failed anthropology because i took it online it was the hardest class i've ever taken
6: Yeah, but you're such a people person. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that was tough. So, so thank you for your background, and uh, so tell us what your thoughts are relative to keeping our kids safe. What would be your solution?
6: I think, I think for me, when I think of these kids, these kids who, and I'm using the word kids specifically. uh, I think a lot of school shootings are perpetuated by former students or current students. Um, And I'm thinking about the environments these kids come from. And I know that Celia mentioned this at the very beginning. Um, And I think it can sometimes be easy to say, our parents need to do better, they need to raise these kids better, they need to, to do that. But how do we give these parents the opportunity to raise their kids better, right? Why are they failing as parents? They're failing because they are lacking on some front right I think of a lot of these kids coming from broken homes where they are impoverished they don't have access to health care good housing healthy environments um, or positive connections in their life and so I think a really simple and effective way to make big cultural changes is to raise the quality of living for these kids uh, all kids but especially the kids I'm thinking of the kids who turn into active shooters right because they are they are suffering they don't just no one is born to become a school shooter there are there are moments in their lives where we can see these trends developing and I think so I think raising the quality of life for students and for impoverished people and looking out for those warning signs if if you have a student who is who is struggling emotionally um, and there are specific warning signs for like the demographic of people who become active shooters right we know what they are and so if we can address those things before we get to the situation in which a person is bringing a gun to a school and nip it in the bud right then that's going to be a way more effective uh, solution um, and treating really the cause. What I see is as, as the cause of these things.
0: Well, Shelby, before before you go on, I, I, I love what you just said there, but I just I want to let you know that I have a burr in my saddle about that. Because you talked about the warning signs, right? Mm hmm. And I agree with you. I'm, I'm in 100% agree with you. My burn, the burn in my saddle is not with what you have said. My, the burn in my saddle is the way we're doing things, okay? There could be a situation at school where my kid is having an issue with something and they go talk to the school counselor or they go talk to somebody at the school and I won't ever be informed of it because of mm-hmm. confidentiality hmm. So when we talk about that triad that you're talking about, Danny, the 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 formula itself works against me as a parent, because if my daughter or my son goes to the counselor because I'm now if it's if it's it, I believe in the confidentiality piece, if it's like I'm they're being abused or yada, 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 that's that's But if they're talking about I'm seeing I'm hearing voices and I want to hurt somebody and I want to blah, blah, blah. The, the school is not obligated to inform me as their parent. How do we close that gap? Because that bothers me. It's happened to me a couple times with my own kids. I'm like, yo, I'm their daddy. I should know first. Well, we got to. And, and that has always bothered me about this confidentiality piece at school. When we say looking for the warning signs is the school exclusively. Uh, and now all of a sudden its own autonomous entity what about closing the gap and bringing it back home so we can work collaboratively? Did I go overboard there or or, or are you feeling my pain?
6: Uh, I I don't know if I can relate completely. I'm not a parent. Right. And not being a parent, I still might be in the mindset of the child who wants their privacy. Right. Um, And I think sometimes parents respecting that privacy creates like respect between the parent and children. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm imagining opportunities in which we have public education which collaborates between schools and parents and has a day in which, you know, you can teach students and parents and schools those warning signs, right? Because I imagine okay. that if, if a school is seeing warning signs, you probably are seeing warning signs as a parent is home, at home too, right? And so you create this kind of social responsibility looking out for each other. And and not not in a monitoring way, not in a like oh, you know Toby's gonna become a school shooter, but right. hey man, you look like you're struggling. What can I do to help you?
0: I, I, you know I agree with you, Shelby. I just I just had triggered my mind. You know the, I, <laughs> I, I, I worked with a group called Stand for the Silent, and this this guy's kid wound up going to school. He was getting bullied. It never got back to the parents. The kid wound up getting the the dad's shotgun and killing himself. Now they travel all over the country talking about this communication piece. I know it's a fine line between, hey, respecting the privacy and the confidentiality of that relationship at the school. But I also think I like what you came back in a rebuttal. That was a good response where you said, why don't we do more training to be aware of the warning signs, right? Because maybe I don't Okay, maybe you don't need to tell me but I can't be so aloof in my child's life that I don't, I don't see what's going on. So that was, I think that was a good response. Thank you. You passed. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what, so, so you, so you're talking raising the quality of living. You, you think poverty and, and, and quality of life does is correlated to this, huh?
6: Intrinsically without a doubt. Um, You know, people who struggle Uh, that that bleeds into every part of your life it creates a a ground level stress right and stress is worse for you than smoking cigarettes and if that stress is in those parents that stress is in those kids and your body reacts to those feelings um you know so i think i think giving parents the resources they need to be good parents which is a livable wage a safe house over their heads and to know that they're if their baby gets sick they're not gonna you know go bankrupt, I think those are those are the most basic human needs. And to help people meet those basic human needs is going to have a huge impact on children.
0: That's powerful. I think what we, just to uh, agree with you, that that, that conversation is important because uh, I know coming, being a former homeless kid myself, I know what it's like living in poverty and it makes you desperate. It causes you to react to certain things totally different. But when we go back to this whole uh Parent thing you know there are some parents that just are not interested in being involved and that's that's yeah, the struggle I that we face
6: say that a c parent is still a passing parent right yeah you, know, you don't have to be a perfect parent there's there are always going to be bad parents and we can hope that there is connection at school to mitigate for that kind of stuff
0: yeah all right well that's that's good man i i, I agree with you um and and i think uh you know the active component of recognizing these things recognition is very very important it's rec- where were the warning signs with this kid in, in uvalde they said there they said there were some signs but they were missed you know Do you, you got any other go ahead
6: yeah so i think you know i can't remember who exactly mentioned it but there's social disconnection right we're not we're not paying attention we are not paying attention to our peers we're not listening to our peers right and we don't have that. Um, and another person mentioned the value of human life, right. Um, and that value in human life doesn't necessarily come from, you know, I'm like, you know, there's respect in not taking a life that is value of human life, but there's also value of human life in, in treating your neighbor as yourself in, you know, looking out for people in general is also a lot of value of human life.
0: Right. That's, that's powerful. Celia, uh, thoughts on, on what uh, our dear friend Shelby said?
1: Oh, a lot. You know, that's, <laughs> that's my world is parenting. Yes. Um, and Shelby, thank you for your wisdom. I think a a huge thing with parenting is as a a parenting coach and, you know, I've written books and this is my thing is that people think that simply because they have a child, they are a qualified parent. And it's somehow in our society, it doesn't make sense. Why do we need to learn how to be a good parent? Because like, you know, my parents yelled and screamed at me and hit me and did all that and I came out okay. Well, did you, yeah. did you come out okay? Because I'm not so sure you did come out okay. And people automatically think, well, we don't need to learn how to parent. We don't need a parenting system in our home. We don't need to create a cooperative, calm, happy, fun environment in our home. You know, we learn systems. We get trained. We get educated for everything. There's a system for going to the bathroom. There's a system for driving. There's a system for professions. And yet people feel like we do not need a system to learn how to parent a child in a productive, cooperative way that will build their self-confidence, build their self-esteem and make them a happy, self-sufficient, content, uh, cooperative, friendly adult. We go through this whole thing with stranger danger, which I'm sorry, but half the children in the half the people that children meet are strangers. Right. So are you going to make them fearful of everybody? Are they going to be afraid of every single person they meet? And then we create a generation of people that don't have compassion and aren't kind to others. You know, it's 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 all of this fear-based parenting and creating children also that are not grateful and that feel entitled. And I I could go on with all this for a lot. So yes. I'm like out of control. Yes, ma'am. But <laughs> stress right. is a huge factor. Thank you for bringing that up because stress is like a huge danger. And even socioeconomic, you know, environments, it has been proven. There's a wonderful book called 30 Million Words by Dr. Dana Sustine. And she uh, is a a hearing surgeon, whatever that's called. She does cochlear implants. Mm -hmm. And she actually, there are a lot of studies based on children that came out of different socioeconomic environments. And there are so many that are just as successful in these lower income environments and some that are failures in higher income environments. And it comes down, it's called 30 million words because it comes down simply to the amount of communication and words that are said between a child and a parent. Wow. And what you were saying, Shelby, about that connection, or, or you were saying, CL, that we need to start connecting with our kids. We need to stop this, this family life that is individual, that is everybody's on their own device and right. nobody's connecting and nobody's doing stuff together. We need to form communities and be concerned about our neighbors and say hello to somebody who checks us out because they have a name tag right. on their shirt. And it's like, hi, Dave, like speak to them, like human beings. We need respect. Amen. And I don't know if that related, but <laughs> thank you, Shelby, because that set me off. I get a little passionate about this stuff.
0: <laughs> she does. Um it's your real house, Greg. Wait, exactly. I, I mean, uh, I said Greg, Mike, you look like Greg, Mike, Greg, <laughs> my, Mike, Mike.
3: Yeah, I I really like what uh, Shelby said and it it provoked me to think about how um, when I was saying that, you know, the gun violence is just one piece of the puzzle, um, what she said was so poignant because, you know, those that come from uh, poor communities and, you know, broken homes or uh, missing father, uh, just all those things are like stacked against the kid from the get, you know what I mean? And so it's so much harder for them to go to school to be able to function when they have someone's dysfunction at home. And it's like, you know, like you're saying, do people just stop and think, you know, think of a teacher that has 30 kids and they're just trying to get their lesson done. You know, that child or children are going to get missed in the shuffle and that's really sad. But uh, I just like how Shelby kind of tied it together and put the stress element on it and, and how she's right. I mean, stress can absolutely be a killer. So, um, Silent killer. So, excellent
0: point, uh, Shelby. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Slow mo 1962.
4: Yeah. Um, I, I agree with everything uh, Shelby also said. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I come from a single uh, parent, four brothers uh, and a mother uh, raised us in. It was never something bad in my house, though. It was uh, we had a, a tight uh, group family dynamic. So um, I don't think that's the same. I come from a different generation. I, I'm not, I'm 60. I know I'm a little older, but I think today's single parent with four kids is a lot different than when I grew up. Yeah. And uh, and I sort of cannot relate to that. I really I, I try to wrap my head around it. But uh, it's really hard for me to, to 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 see where I came from and why can't somebody else? But uh, I'm getting better at that. But uh, yeah, I agree what you say. But I don't know what the social fix is. I really don't.
0: So someone in all, on our online audience says we have mentors in place, we have rec centers to teach classes, we have after school involvement, but where are the parents? We have volunteer opportunities, but no parents.
6: I can. Uh, they're all working their butts off to afford rent and mortgages.
0: I, you know, I can agree. I can agree with that. Um, but we're, I, I guess, in some ways, we have to look at. We've presented some speedboat recommend recommendations, and we've presented mm. some Titanic recommendations. Right, y'all, y'all follow me. A speedboat, we can make some quick, instant turns but socioeconomic is a Titanic. You know what I mean? I was poor, probably, probably the poorest person in this room. It don't get no more poor than living on the streets, homeless. And, you know, that's a, that took 47 years to change, to, to impact my next generation. So it it wasn't just a, it wasn't just an instant. So we're looking at like, uh, I think, you know, Danny says we got to look at some things and try and then tweak them over time and expand them because you're right there, there is a lot of layers to this, to this onion. And if we, if we dare say that those people in Chicago who don't have, you know, that they're in the inner city, there's no jobs, those opportunities, crime raises commensurate with, with poverty, you're, you're going to get what you get. And so I agree with you. Um, Charles, Bigelow. Yeah. I <clears> don't <throat> uh,
2: I think everything that Shelby said was the biggest pieces is the uh the the socioeconomical thing and, and the way the family dynamic I believe from what uh slow-mo was not,
0: <laughs> his name is Robert.
2: Uh, yeah, let me uh, from the way you know, the generation he was raised in and when single moms then could make things happen, you know, they they made things happen. There also was a sense of community, too. I'm, I'm sure he will agree right. that right. even though his mom was there and doing the best she could, you know, do what she could, but she also there's a sense of community. we become more isolated, I believe, as a culture that, you know, we draw back, we keep things. Uh, back in my day, I was terrified if anything happened to me at school, it got home to my dad. <laughs> Before you think, got there. There's going to be a whole lot of consequences behind that, but now... Parents, if you correct their kid at school, they want to go to the school and raise all kind of cane about that. So I feel that uh, we have to bring up, always with society, you know, there's always going to be a, a class that's unfortunately uh, left behind and, unforgot- you know, forgotten. You know, uh, you, we don't want to foster the nature of that, you know, that I can depend on the government to solve all my ills. You know, as, Dan, uh, as Don said, you want you want people to be self-sufficient and to rise up by their own bush, uh, bootstrap, pull themselves up. But there's so many uh, so many, uh, just a sense of despair, I believe, in so many of the communities that yeah. this yeah. is all I can aspire to. This is all I'm going to raise my kids to aspire to. You know, we're going to be like this, so the only way we can get ahead is we got to hustle. Yeah. You know, we gotta yeah. do this, and it's not about looking out for my fellow man. It's about what can I do to get mine, and if I have to take advantage of you to get mine, it's okay as long as I get mine. That's, and that's, we gotta—I think we—that that's the breakdown, the breakdown of the village, the breakdown of the village of uh, caring about each other as human beings. That—that's the main. I think that's our main uh, issue we have to overcome because. That's why it's so divided. Congress used to work together, you know. Yeah. Like I yeah. said, we don't have to agree. We don't have to be on the same page about anything. We don't have to be, and you know, all flowers. Yeah. And, right. And all right. And I get it. Yeah. Those, you, know, you know. but good conversation and, and good dialogue, and you know, bringing the facts instead of just bringing just rhetoric. Yeah. You know, that's what I see now. That's dividing this morning. Things It's all about a bunch of rhetoric. You know, we have certain talking points and the left is on this side, the right, right. is on this side right. and that's where it's at. There's no, we're not even trying to come together and see what the common commonality is and what the consensus can be. It's just like, you're wrong and I'm right. That's, and that's it. That's and the I'm, way I'm, it, mad. I'm mad at you because you don't see it my way <laughs> that's right. listen to anything else. So some civility has to come back, I believe, to government, yeah. uh, to our interactions with each other. Uh, just listen, and the main thing is just listen. Just because you don't, we, we none of us were raised in the same set of circumstances. Right, we all were raised differently. We all had different things we had to overcome in life, and there's something that anybody can bring a, a different uh, outlook or impact on how they were raised. Can you know maybe say, "Well, I never looked at it that way." Right. You know, uh, I never, I never thought about it that way, and but you have to take time to listen because if if you just make a out. Uh, just, just an assumption from the get go, from the first four words of the conversation. Oh, well, now I'm not listening to anything else you got to say. You know, exactly. Most we listen to, to, to provide a response instead of we listening to see. Okay, what is he saying, and what can I do to, uh, you know, to bring my insight to it? So, thank you for letting me share. that. Yes, out. sir. <laughs> Look, I gave you the mic, brother. I gave you the mic. Nine thirty
0: seven, uh, Danny. You are. You're, what do you feel in terms of what our dear friend Shelby? said
5: um I, I think the thing that just stood out to me was her statements about the uh, you know as far as income mm-hmm. and I think that there are studies out there that talk about relative income equality and how that correlates to a lot of the behaviors that we see that sort of antisocial behaviors so um I, I am in agreement with that and and I can't remember, had going through you know those workshops and i don't know if it was good or bad i don't know you know how you know you can find problems with all in it within everything obviously but you know i think people have good intentions and they correlated sometimes school performance with income right right it's not you know it's not a panacea but you know you saw the numbers change you know as as the income changed it was sort of correlated with it so right I, you know, that's my thoughts on it. Well, you know, I, inconclusive, but
0: my thoughts. Well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why they're your yeah. thoughts, brother. And and I yeah. have I have to piggyback off of what Shelby talked about in terms of um, uh, you know, knowing the warning signs, because you know yeah. I had I had a little meltdown there on the warning signs piece, but. Uh, Celia and I believe Charles said this, and this is one thing that has, has kind of stirred my thoughts. I have people cause I'm real. I'm, I got seven children. I'm, we real tight here. Y'all we tight. This is a tight group, but I, I have people pour into my children that are not me. I have men speaking to my boy's life. I have ladies speaking to my girl's life that are not my wife. Because I know that that I value the you know the voice of the village. You follow what I'm saying? And I'm thinking about this kid in Uvalde, Texas. Did anybody, like you say, Charles? Did anybody pull him aside at any time? Did anybody ever, you know, look at him as this isolated kid that was bullying folks or whatever? Did anybody ever? And what Charles said is true. There was a time you walked across Miss Rachel's lawn on East 146th Street in Kinsman, and she would tell you to get off her lawn. And if you didn't get off of it fast enough, she'd make you rake her lawn and she wasn't your mama. But now, if you tell somebody to get off somebody's kid to get off your lawn, they're gonna go home, tell their parents, and they're gonna show up to your front door with a with a gun and shoot you. That, 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 that's like you saying, Don, that sense of community is totally, it it has changed. So I'm going to end this with one last question for each of you. Y'all didn't know I was going to do this. Did you? That's why I'm the host. You only got 30 seconds though, Charles. You ain't got, you ain't got four hours. You only got 30 seconds Marine. Okay. So you got to follow the rules, follow them right now. (laughs) I want one short term One long-term, short-term, long-term. What would be your short-term quick? Just give it to us quick. My short-term would be invest in making the schools uh, secure and have a checks and balances format. Long-term, invest more money in mental health. Our mental health system is failing, okay? You you see how I did that? Short-term, long-term. So we're going to go around the room. Celia, ladies first. Short term solution to kids safe.
1: Short term, I agree. Make our schools safe properties for our kids to learn in so that it's an environment of learning and not an environment of fear. Long term? Um, Long term. Let's help parents learn how to create confident and, uh, confident adults that because we're creating adults that right. have good self-esteem because a confident person is a person that can go forward and stand up to bullies and and be someone who can make something of themselves and work with other people.
0: Great. Mike, short term, long term.
3: I agree. Short term should be uh, protect the schools, don't make them a soft target, you know, get some uh, law enforcement there to protect and get involved long term would be i agree with silly uh, to say let's get some education for the parents help them uh, everybody's working professional so busy so let's just get some education for the parents to recognize those things like mental mental illness mental health spot the signs thanks
0: shelby short term long term
6: Short-term, I'm going to say uh, better better uh, resources for teachers, right, including uh, making the schools safe and secure. And long-term, I'm going to say community building because it takes a village to raise a child.
0: The Voice of the Village. That should be my third book. That's powerful. I like it, Shelby. Uh, Charles?
2: Uh, Short-term, uh, I agree with... Uh, with with the school with the school issue you know you have to find out a way to uh you know to to get our school secure and I think that goes with more funding because I see all these schools being put up brand new high schools I mean brand new schools we have all these uh state lotteries so where's the money going you know where is it being allocated to long long term -term? I'm dead dead in with Celia uh you have got to create the self of self-worth in these kids and that starts at the home you know without without uh, exception you have to make them confident so they can stand up to the bullying and all that stuff now I'm done the Marine's done. Okay
0: done. good job Semper baby. baby. Uh, Don short term long term
4: uh, short term I'll, I'll say um, I'll piggyback off of Mike on this one and say how about some faculty training maybe some extra funding for that Uh, Long term, uh, I think I made it clear that if we're going to get some money to the states, let's use it what it's appropriated for.
0: That's powerful. Danny, short term, long term,
5: Um, short term, uh, investing in your your own child, make them conscientious human beings, you know, aware of dangers and and the risk out there. Long term, uh, redesign schools so that there are multiple means of egress. So that
0: the kids are not sitting in classrooms, sitting targets. Oh, now that, that's a good why you why you say that to the why you say that to the end, Danny? <laughs>
5: I'll just say it. That's that's
0: Well, that's true that's, because I, I looked yeah. at some of their i looked at some schools uh you know formats and they've yeah. made they've made the kids sitting ducks. Yeah. Their plan is to go hide in the closet and yeah. there's an adjacent classroom where the where the shooter could get in. And you got yeah. first graders hiding in a closet, telling them to be quiet. It doesn't work. That's, right. that so, that's very, very powerful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> can y'all believe that we did a two hour and 45 minute podcast? Our kids are worth it. Their lives are worth it. Our teachers are worth it. Our educators are worth it. And our communities are worth it. I've never done anything this long. Our ta- our staff can tell you we've never done. An hour for us is about the limit. Now, we only do 30 minutes on our show. But I want to thank Celia Kibler for taking time out of her very busy schedule. She's got her own platform, international platform to be with us. Mike Black, who's a father, a husband, the co-host, and a man with many, many other talents uh, joining us tonight tonight. Don Roberts fixed his name so he wouldn't call him the Gigolo 007. (laughs) <laughs> Don, we thank you so much for, for your service. Uh, we thank you so much for your committed service to continue to referee these baby kids. We thank you for being out there helping those young people and inspiring them because I got a feeling that you put words of encouragement in their life. Uh, Charles, thank you so much, brother. You, you added so much value to this conversation tonight, and I want to tell you this right now, that anybody who comes from the Marine Corps pedigree that you did, like you are, I know they're an awesome individual. But secondly, anybody who know Greg Smith, they got to be dynamite. So I appreciate you, Brother Charles. Shelby. Shelby, you were the you were the calm in the storm. I I loved your approach. Very cerebral, but also very, very thought-provoking. And 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 beyond just thought provoking, you made us think, you made me think outside of the box on several issues. And so, Shelby, thank you so much for being with us. You stuck with us for two hours and 45 minutes. And then last but not least, my dear friend Danny, the man, the myth, the savant, the legend. We thank you so much for for really contributing. I know this may be sometimes out of your comfort zone, but I told you that you are you are a man of great words, and we thank you for your words. And we also thank you that me and you didn't get into a fight on live uh, broadcasting. You know what I mean? We kept we kept it civil, baby. We we acted like family, um, and we don't fight. We just we just discuss, ladies and gentlemen. That has been it for this first of its kind, and obviously we need more of these conversation on keeping our schools safe we're going to take all of this this whole raw footage that you've seen for the last two hours we're going to put it together and we're going to put action plans with it we're going to say hey elected official hey local leaders Hey, people in, in, in influence, here's what some ordinary citizens who really care about our kids think. Can you take some of these ideas? Who kn- who knows? They might call us to Washington, D.C. to give them in-person discussions on what we think. That would be something, because that wouldn't be very far up the road for you, would it, Celia? That'd be, that'd be no, right up down your down street, <laughs> right down the road. Thank so.
1: you, CL, for doing this.
0: Yes, thank you, guys. We love you. We appreciate you. And until next time, let's continue to be the voice in the village. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everyone one.